This episode is sponsored by a company I've used for well over a decade, and that is 511. I wore their uniforms back in Anaheim, California, and have used their products ever since. From their incredibly strong yet light footwear to their cut uniforms for both male and female responders, I found them hands down the best workwear in all the departments that I've worked for. Outside of the fire service, I use their luggage for everything and I travel a lot. And they are also now sponsoring the 7X team as we embark around the world on the Human Performance Project. We have Murph coming up in May. And again, I bought their plate carrier. I ended up buying real ballistic plates rather than the fake weight plates. And that has been my ride or die through Murph the last few years as well. But one area I want to talk about that I haven't in previous sponsorship spots is their brick and mortar element. They were predominantly an online company up till more recently, but now they are approaching 100 stores all over the US. My local store is here in Gainesville, Florida, and I've been multiple times. And the discounts you see online are applied also in the stores. So as I mentioned, 511 is offering you 15% off every purchase that you make. But I do want to say, more often than not, they have an even deeper discount, especially around holiday times. In fact, if you're listening to this in the months of April or May, 511 Days is coming up. Between May 9th and May 16th, you will get 20% off all gear and apparel. And that applies both online and in-store. But if you use the code SHIELD15, that's shield one five you will get 15% off your order or in the stores every time you make a purchase. And if you want to hear more about 511, who they stand for and who works with them, listen to episode 580 of Behind the Shield podcast with 511 Regional Director Will Ayers. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show former Royal Marine and the man known as the Warrior Walker, Paul Harris. Now, Paul has just completed a trip around the entire mainland Britain on foot walking. So we discuss a host of topics from some of the traumas of his childhood that led him into his own mental health struggles, his journey into the Royal Marines, his unique perspective on war, the kindness and compassion that kept him going through his incredible journey, the power of community, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 750 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Paul Harris. Enjoy. Well, Paul, I want to 
firstly say congratulations and we'll obviously get to why I'm saying that in a second. And secondly, say so that I'm honored that you chose to come on this podcast after you completed this incredible adventure you've been on. So welcome to the yeah. Behind the Shield podcast today. Oh, mate, thanks, man. It's been a, it's been a long time coming. And, uh, you know, as I've been on the path, I've been saying, yeah, I'll do it then, I'll do it then. And it's just been up in knackered or the weather or just it's not hit. Um, but as I said before, I promise you that, you know, you'll be the first guy that I speak to since finishing. And, uh, and that was three days ago. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. So, um, before we start your journey, where on planet earth are we finding you today? So I'm currently resting up for uh, a week or so in a place called North Devon. Brilliant. Not too far from where I grew up. I'm from Bath originally. So West country. I was thinking, I don't know why I just thought you'd have an American accent, but you don't. No, 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 no. I put it on. I, I, you know, affect it. When I'm with the English girls, I put the American accent on. When I'm in American girls, I put the English accent on. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I keep getting told. Some people hear it straight away. Some people are like, "You sound totally American." So it's it's funny. It, it depends on the ear holes, I guess. Um, yeah, fair, fair. All right. Well, then let's start at the very beginning of your personal journey. So tell me where you were born, and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, and how many siblings. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I'm Paul, obviously, and uh, I grew up and I was born in a place called Bournemouth in Dorset uh, in England, and I had a mum and a dad. Um, they actually split up when I was six, so they were quite, I was quite young when they when they split up, and it was quite messy in essence, um, and I had a, a brother, um, and then when they split up, uh, my dad went on to marry someone else who had three sons. My mum married someone else who had a son. So in essence, I've got five brothers and me. Uh, I'm the old, um, meant to be the wisest, I don't know. Um, and yeah, it's been, you know, grandparents and, and growing up in Bournemouth, it was it was a nice place to grow up, but I've realized it was pretty traumatic and it was pretty, it wasn't that great to be fair, but firstly, I'm not the first person to have a family dynamic like that. Uh, and secondly, age time and wisdom i'm kind of glad it happened otherwise i wouldn't be the man i am today so you know it's, it's, it's kind of you know do i wish it was better probably but at the same time I'd, if I, I feel like if i had a nice comfortable warm childhood which is very nice for people that have that i don't know if i, I would have pushed the way i've done in my life to get where i've got so well, you talk about Bournemouth. For people listening, I think we're in the same comparative places in our own countries now. So I'm in Florida where a lot of people go to retire. And if, correct okay. me if I'm wrong, but Bournemouth has a pretty uh, significant elderly population as well. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, um, you know, the, the kind of the southwest of England, really. That You know, it's a, it's a beautiful place, just as Florida probably is. Um, and it, it's one of those places where people settle down and get families and, 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 and come to retire, yeah. Absolutely. Well, firstly, what did your parents do as far as profession? Yeah, yeah so my mum, she ran her own business, so she had like a catering business. And my dad was a was a butcher. Um, he, he's one of those guys that started when he was 16 and he's still doing it today and he's in his 60s now. Um, and uh, that's the only job he's ever done. So what has been his observation of the you know, his his entire world? Because from what I've seen from when basically we were kids is you had a local mm -hmm. butcher. Then you had Sainsbury's mm -hmm. and some of these mega stores come in, which more often than not put our local butchers and bakers and you know delis out of business. 
Um, then yeah, you yeah. have the plant-based movement, which I'm all about more vegetables and less processed shit, but a very anti-meat yes. movement. And then now I think you're getting back to, I hope, a push to almost full circle to the artisan, butcher, baker, etc. So what what has he seen through his whole career? Well, to be honest with you, mate, I don't actually know. Um, just because I lost touch with my dad when I was six, uh, and he's not really been a he's not really been a prominent person in my life like a dad should be but again as i mentioned i feel like that's been my superpower because uh, i know what it's like not to have that male influence which is needed in your life and i've gone out to find it myself and i've gone out to kind of be that person that i needed so i can't really tell you um all i do know is having done what i've just done you know i'm all about the independence and the artisans and the you know for instance coffee you know, if you go to an independent coffee shop, you know that they're going to care about that cup of coffee. Uh, whereas it, when it's mass produced, and that can be in probably any level of any 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 commodity, you know, it's going to be possibly overlooked with the whole quality and quantity, you know. So I, I know that I'd much rather go for an independent coffee, independent butcher, independent anything, rather than a mass marketed machine that is whatever it is you drink or eat. Absolutely. Well... You, you kind of hit that that kind of childhood trauma subject pretty early in this conversation, which is excellent. I don't think yeah. people understand how many human beings have significant sure. levels of trauma, but especially in the uniform. And I think there's a you know kind of double-edged sword of why. Firstly, there's the drive for the, the, the kind of vicious circle to stop there, and you want to become the protector. You know what it's like to be to be hurt. And then secondly, I think some of these careers that we choose – they're exciting, they're dangerous, and I think that kind of pushes down some of the the things that are actually swirling around in our head. So if you yes. want to, kind of when you look back now with this incredible, like almost three-year meditational experience that you've been on, what what would you kind of take away from your childhood now? Oh, man, that's a good question, that is. But, um, well, <clears throat> I'm 39 now, and uh, I feel like when I started this walk, you know, to, to walk around the UK, you know, um, I was a very lost person, lost soul. And I feel like it's like a, a recipe to make something, you know, you have, a, you have a certain amount of ingredients. And, and for me, there was, there was trauma from my, my growing up, my, my childhood. Uh, there was probably trauma from the military. Um, and, and, and over the years, I, I just not spoke about it. Um, so I've kept it down and deep inside for a long, long time. And it took a, a moment in my life for that to kind of come out. And that was, a like a, I said many times before, it was a panic attack, uh, you know. And um, you either go left or right when you have one of them. Um, obviously, COVID came. And uh, I was kind of so down. I got a message from a friend, you know, you need to write a book and walk around the UK. I mean, most people are going to get that message and just not even look at it, not even notice it. Just, you know, a fleeting moment of, of kind of that would be nice and and, and not do it. Um, but for me, that was at the back end of 10 months of deep questioning and sadness and and um, pain in, in my own mind that no one knew about. Um, I felt like a failure often. I didn't speak how I felt. If someone asked me, how are you? military and a male i'm good yeah i'm good you know and uh i really wasn't and uh that message came through 
and it changed my life you know instantly i i knew i had i just knew I, it's hard to explain to to people how i just knew i had to do it and i quit the job that i was doing i quit where i was living i had 300 pound in my bank which is i don't know about 500 dollars in america which is not recommended to do a life-changing adventure on um but for me it was like the I needed it more than it needed me. And I really am a firm believer in the, I don't know if it's, I've, I've come to say that the universe and the gods uh, are a thing, but also I've, I feel like I use those words and maybe that's my gut instinct. And, uh, and that is what tweaked my curiosity and having been a Marine and having done quite a lot in my life, I knew that I thrive and I thrive in environments where you can't see the end I knew I know that I thrive in environments where it's such a big challenge. It's bigger than me. Uh, and I also knew that I, I thrive in areas that aren't easy and things aren't easy to get. And, and that definitely ticked all those boxes. So I just needed it. And three weeks later, after many sleepless nights and what about money? What about a career? What about a partner? What about all the society and societal things that are put upon our shoulders that are deemed as being successful. I decided I had enough of that and I wasn't doing that and I wasn't buying into that. So I thought, F it, I'm a go. Um, you know, regret is painful more so than anything else. So I, I kind of fast forwarded 10, 20 years if I'm lucky to be here then. And I thought I, I will look back on this, that moment and be like, oh, I should have done that. And I also know that I probably would become quite an angry person for not doing that. Uh, later on in life so I decided to take that leap of faith I knew the universe would catch me and I knew it would happen I didn't know when it would happen it just so happened it was the first step so you know yeah beautiful well I want to get to kind of your journey into the military before we obviously come out the other side yeah. um, when you were school age what were you playing were you pretty athletic back then Yes, I was very good at sports, you know, so um, I was running, I was playing football um, and uh, I was I was about 18 and um, it was actually my brother. He joined the army and he was 16. Um, and as I've mentioned with my growing up and parents, I know now it was quite a toxic environment. Um, but when you're young and in it, you don't really realise until later on in life. Um, but even though I knew that, I instantly just said, I'm going to join the Marines, you know, because I just wanted the attention from my family to come on to me. Uh, you know, that child that wants to be seen and wants to be kind of uh, the parents to be proud of him, so to speak, you know. And uh, so I never envisaged that I'd join the military. I never planned to. I kind of didn't want to. Um, and there starts the story of this crazy journey that 20 years later, I've realized that I'm a very um, determined person who seeks out adventures. Now, was this post 9-11 that you signed up? It was, no, it was just, yeah, so, so it was after 9-11. So I went in 2002. Right. So uh, what was your 9-11 story? What, did you, you know, what do you remember doing and where were you? I was actually at college and I was doing travel and tourism in Bournemouth College. And we happened to be on a, on a, on a, on a day trip to uh, an adventure park called Fort Park. Um, so it's like log flumes and, and fairground rides and, and roller coasters. And I was there and 9-11 happened, obviously, and everyone's panicking. And it's one of those moments in, in, in time 
like COVID, like many other things, it's one of those where were you at that time moments. And uh, and I remember that that's where I was at that day. And even then, I you know didn't even think to join the military even then. And it's one of those things with with nine eleven. You're watching the news and you're seeing it happen, and it's just your brain cannot compute that that is happening right now. It doesn't feel real. So, with a very very recent um, enlistment right after nine eleven, what did your journey into the Royal Marines look like? What was your recruitment experience? And then, you know, talk to me about your success through boot camp. Yeah. Oh man, so I probably chose one of the hardest, you know, militaries to go into. And training programs to go into but uh it was either going to the paras or going to the marines my brother obviously as i said joined the army so he was kind of the inspiration for it and i thought i'm just gonna give it a go um so you know you do the basic kind of maths and english test and uh, and then after you've done that when you visited the careers office and say you want to join the marines i was 18 so i was a young a young boy um so you have that kind of no fear element about who you are and what you're doing um, and then I went down to Limpston, which is the Royal Marine Training Centre um, in Devon. And I did a three-day PRMC. So that's a potential Royal Marine course. And damn, man, you know, you're, you, when you're younger, you've got this kind of no-fear attitude and you feel like you're the, the mutts nuts, you know, you feel like you're the, you're, you're the guy. And then you go to this environment where there's all of a sudden maybe 100 and 150 people that are men, fully grown men you know, with families and wives and babies. And you're just like, dude, I'm, I'm so going to screw this up. I can't <laughs> compete with, you know? And, um, but, you know, three days later we do the bottom field. I remember just doing bottom field, which is the assault course and getting hammered and beasted and pull ups and press ups and running and it, mostly just that. Um, uh, and, I, I, and even then I was still kind of like, I'm not sure about this. But it, it kind of piqued my curiosity. It was even even back then. It was kind of I want to see if I can do it. I want to see if I'm good enough. I want to see if I'm fit enough, and I want to see if I can make it. Um, but yeah, I passed passed the three days. I think it was almost a fifty to sixty percent split that half, over half the guys or just under half the guys didn't make it. Um, what what's the reason that you did? When you look back now, with the eighteen years that you've been on this planet, you know what. Because I know it's not just physical, it's mental as well. What were the tools that you brought in that some people didn't have? I feel like I had a, a, a reason to do it, but I didn't know it at the time. And that reason would have been my family upbringing and, 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 and how kind of traumatic it was. So I looked for male role models, I guess, and I found one and found them in the marines and, and a, you know an instant brotherhood everyone's kind of fighting for the same thing everyone's gearing up and training to do the same thing and and it's like a movie isn't it you know it's like one of the when you're a young boy it's like a it's like the movies that you're watching oh that's so cool man you go traveling and you, you can go and fight for your country and you can go and like see things people don't see um so that there was a number of reasons and a number of things that i wanted to kind of do but in the in the moment and there and then that was that wasn't on my radar i was just trying to get through the day um but yeah, no, I passed. And then I remember, like not many people know, but um, I was still undecided about joining. Uh, I remember my mum, she said to me, if you, if you don't join the Marines, then you're not living here. And, uh, you know, as an 18-year-old boy, man, dude, that's not a, that's not a great feeling. Um, so in essence, I have to thank my mum, really. I, I don't really speak to her much anymore. Um, but back then, if she hadn't have said that, I probably wouldn't have joined just because I knew that it would be relentless. 
and it was tough and it was you know when you're when you're in training and you even that three days you know fully grown men just can't, aren't making it and, and you know just you know that self-doubt even as a young person is there um but you also don't have the life experience which i think is a superpower because if you know what's coming and if you've got the life experience in that sort of arena you probably aren't going to step up to the plate but if you go in with your eyes wide shut and you're just like i don't know what's going to go on i don't know what's going to happen you know then maybe you're going to you're going to do all right so i guess it's not sorry it's naivety that get, got me there i guess yeah, which I, I think they thrive in the military of doing that. You know, they they get these young men and women while, like you said, they're kind of blank canvases still before they start thinking for themselves. Not saying that's a bad thing, but I mean, they're, they're we're a lot more obedient when we're young. Candidate, man, because if you're so, if you are a blank canvas, then they, as 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 you know, it's what they do. They, the older you are, the, the, the physically the tougher it is, to be honest, and 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 mentally, you know, you're set in your ways. But when you're young you're not so you're kind of like a blank canvas straight away they haven't got much to rub out and therefore they you're the perfect guy because they're like well this is we're going to mold you um and that's definitely what they did so the royal marines is considered basically one of the special operations communities so you didn't just you know pass that selection and then go into regular army you ended up being a part of a pretty incredible group so what was that next kind of phase like as far as selection through to actually operating yeah, so uh, you, you go to the Limpston again. You start your training um, at the time, um, you know, in the foundation block, it's called. It's just basically this long rectangular room that has no personality and is very clinical. And you're joining up for 32 weeks training, which is a long time. And, uh, you know, I guess when you do the PRMC, it's still quite romantic and you're still not a full Marine yet. You know, you're still not in that arena. So it's kind of quite polite. Um, and they're quite nice to you because you're not actually a Marine right now and you don't want to be a Marine right now. But as soon as you start day one there, whoa, man, you know about it. And you're basically a bit of, you know, when you step in, step in some dog pill and someone shoe, <laughs> I just find out like what they treat you like. <laughs> and uh, you're, 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 you know, you're in essence theirs. And, um, Oh man, I remember, you know, on my journey and I've, especially on this walk that I've done, I've met a lot of people and they have children and young, young adults, I guess, you know, they could be from 12 years old to 22 years old uh, and they're interested in joining the Marines and straight away in that two weeks that I joined up and I, and, and the first two weeks in foundation block, when people ask me, what would you say is the best advice for someone that wants to join the Marines? I actually tell them that they need to iron learn how to iron, learn how to fold clothes and learn how to map read, you know, and, and the ironing one, they're like, what really? I'm like, honestly, I went into training and I didn't know how to iron. I'd never ironed. And that therefore meant that I was sleeping on the floor, not on my bed, just so I didn't have to iron it or make it in the morning because you get the kind of, you know, the kit musters and, and, you know, there's, there's me and a few other lads, we've never ironed before. So we're up like three, 4am just ironing. And how'd you do it? Like, Oh my God, you know, and then you're going to get beasted because you haven't done it properly. And then you've got full grown men. They're just like, yep. Yeah, cheers. Thanks very much. Bang. See you later, lads. I'm going to go to sleep. You know, it's just an absolute eye opener. Um, but yeah, the first two weeks in foundation block, I think it was, but every day in training, man, like from day one to the end, I hated it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I hated it, man. 
Um, I regularly cried. No one knew, but I did. Um, it was just a baptism of fire, man. And, you know, people that were, the, the, people were dropping like flies. Um, you know, fully grown men, those fully, you know, those fully grown men that have the abs and the chest and the muscles and the life experience, you're like, oh my God, they're going to go so far. And they dropped out like flies. And it was the skinny, scrawny lads like me that, you know, were just in the game, you know, and uh, it is a fight or flight and it's just survive. You just survive. Try not to draw too much attention to yourself, you know, just be good at everything and don't cause any problems uh, you know, and just be the unnoticeable person that just gets through training. Because if you highlight yourself, then you're going to get beasted, basically. Now, when I think of the American enlistment stories that I've heard, especially post 9-11, it's very personal. Yeah. It was their own country that was attacked. When you're in the UK, we're allies, but it wasn't a domestic, you know, it wasn't on British soil that particular attack happened, even though obviously we've had a lot of extremist attacks you know, in the years following. What mm -hmm. was the kind of the messaging? What was the why behind the the British Royal Marines that were were going over? Because obviously you can't just say you know that they attacked us because technically it wasn't us. If you're in in Britain, yeah. well, I feel like you know, as you mentioned, we're allies. So you know, whatever happens to America kind of happens to the to the British, you know, and, and vice versa. So when the British have problems, the Americans come and help and back and forth so you know in essence whatever happens in america or happens to americans abroad and, and, and us abroad we're in it together and we're a team so we kind of knew you know there was murmurings of, of of that happening um so in essence you're getting trained and it's serious you know it's not a joke um you know you're you're, you're training to be a soldier uh, you're training to be a marine um you're a set kind of way and an elite kind of human you know when i when i joined i think there was must have been maybe 65 or 65, 70 of us in, in the first week, first day. And when I finished, there was like 16 or 18 of us. You know, it's so small. Um, and uh, But you're, you're, it's relentless, uh, you know, and it's just not a joke. Because in essence, what you're doing is you're training to go and fight, you're training to go abroad, you're training to protect your country and, and you know, you... you you need a strong group of men around you to do that. Um, and the reason that the Marine training is so hard, which is a good thing, because when the proverbial hits the fan, anyone that you would want in the arena with you is probably the Royal Marines. You know, you probably want a group of men like the Royal Marines uh, and the Special Forces. So you heard the murmurings of what was going on, but as a young boy, you still didn't get it. You still didn't really, you know, you just knew that you might go out there and, you know, and you kind of wanted to. You know, it's what you're trained to do. It's that you know, it's like training to be uh, anything in life and not doing anything that's to do with the training. So we were trained to do that. That's what we were meant to do. That's what we wanted to do. It's exciting, you know, when you're young. It's exciting to go to a foreign land and fight for your country, uh, you know, and, and protect your country. Everyone's proud of you. Uh, and personally, I wanted to just travel as much as I could and see as much as I could. Well, first you don't have to watch your language on this. So if you want to, if you want to elaborate, just to let you know, I, I uh, swear like a sailor sometimes when I get wound up. But I could tell when you said it hits the fan, I'm like, okay, just m let me make sure. <laughs> yeah, when the shit hits the fan, you need to be ready. So um, you know, you're trained to do that, and it's 
you know, the man in the arena, man, the Roosevelt quote, you know, like when you're in that arena, you want to be ready, you want to be good. And that's why I believe that, you know, the Marines are so good. The Paras are similar, you know, it's an elite group of men and you're not going to have just anybody there. Um, But yeah, no, I passed out of training and I was like, oh God, I'm actually a Marine now. What has happened? You know, because you're so, I was so, even back then I was just so focused on each day. You cannot think of anything other than today and tomorrow, you know, and probably not really tomorrow. You just get through it. You just survive. You just, you know, get through the hammering and get through the beasting. And, you know, I've seen, seen grown men cry, man. It was actually my, my fondest memory, or not fondest actually, but my craziest memory of, 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 of marine training was probably we do a survival exercise. Um, so you do, uh, I think it's five or six day in the field. You get picked up by a Chinook and it flies you over to, Dartmoor you get left on the on the ground and you've got no kit on you so it's called survival exercise so basically you've lost your troop you've got to survive for 24 hours with nothing other than what you've got on your person um and we were basically had to kill a rabbit and and and, you know the sadisticness of the marines if they you know they make you stroke the rabbit and give it a name and give it a character and a personable kind of thing a chicken as well break its neck skin it eat it because you're survival ex right um and we were actually had an, an exchange with the American Marines. So we had a gunnery sergeant. Um, and I just think of full metal jacket when I think of this guy, he was a, he was just not right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he just loved to see us in pain all the time. And, uh, we did the 24 hours. We, I remember it, man. It was a Friday. We were going back to the base and, uh, we were due to have the weekend off everyone's absolutely knackered because when you're in the field on exercise, you get no sleep. You, you're lucky if you get two or three hours sleep a night, you know, you're constantly in the river, constantly in the cold, constantly, no sleep, constantly getting attacked. It's just relentless. And, um, we got back to the base. So everyone's kind of like being polite because they don't want to get beasted, but everyone's also excited for the weekend. Um, and I remember we we're all in our rooms going through all our kit, cleaning our kit. And, uh, the gunnery sergeant calls everyone onto the landing. So we're on these stairs, just all the way up the stairs. And oh man, he says, um, you guys enjoyed that, right? No one is going to say no. So we're all like, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You loved it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Good. Get your kit. We're going again. And we're, everyone is shocked and like, what? And we're doing it again. You loved it that much. We're going again for another 24 hours. Get back on the four tonners. And right there and then, man, I've never seen like fully grown men just put their hands up, crying and just quitting, just dropping like flies. He, that gunnery sergeant just broke everyone. Um, I obviously didn't, but we, you know, I've never been on. We drove back, I think it was an hour or two on the four tonners to go back in the field for 24 hours. And it was so somber, man. You could hear a freaking pin dropping on that four tonner on the way back. Everyone was shocked and gutted and but we did it, man. And, uh, you know, we got through the next 24 hours and, and there was a lot of people that left that night and, uh, the guys that were left, you formed like a bond, you know, and you, you, you know, and the gunnery sergeant now looking back on it, he did us a solid man. He did us, you know, w- w- things to come, you know, cause when you think it's over, it's not over. And, you know, so you always got to be ready. And that stays with me to this day. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. Now, when I'm thinking about the time period that you're going through all this, I'm assuming that there's no 
Middle East combat veterans, maybe apart from the first Gulf War. So did you have Falklands vets and you know, Bosnia and some of those conflicts teaching you at the time? Because that must have been hard to prepare you for a conflict in the Middle East when most of our combat up to that point had been in the Europe setting. Yeah, yeah, no, we, we, we I, I can't really remember that there was, you know, um, because I was in 2002-ish. So even, you know, those guys were probably high up the chain. You know, the, the guys on the on the corporals and the sergeants, that were, the captains that were, you know, our troop um, bosses, they were also recently out of training or they were running a set of uh, nods. They're called, we're called nods. You know, the guys that you run through a training selection and rotation, they come down to do that. And when they do that, it's part of their kind of being a corporal and then they can become a corporal by running us through that. So that even them guys, they had some military experience. Obviously, I think some of them had some Bosnian experience, but um, not, 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 not really. Um, which is, again, you know, it was exciting. And, and sometimes those guys would be a bit annoyed that they were on the training team because they would fully train Marines. And they wanted to be out in the action, you know, and um I, I passed out of training. I think it was a week after, you know, I missed it by a week to go straight on the ground out in, in Iraq. Um, and actually, it, you know, God, my first part, I passed out of the Marines and um, I, I got posted up north to Scotland um, to a place called FBG, which is an hour north of Glasgow. It's where the nuclear subs are and stuff. And uh, our first job, man, was to... Uh, I think there was about 12 of us maybe we were the rear party funeral duty so when the um, the lads started taking hits we were the guys that would meet them at Bryce Norton and and take the uh the bodies off the plane and uh for about six seven weeks I did that and uh we went all over the country it was in the press all the time it's always it's in the papers you know and we were pulling those bodies off the plane and I feel like bloody hell man what a welcome to you know this is you for the next four and a half years and we're you know, pulling these bodies off the planes and we're doing their funerals and you're seeing the families, you know, as there's a, there's, you, you don't know kind of in essence who's in the coffin, um, but you see the, the heartbreak and, the, and all of that, man, it was traumatic. And that was our first job, you know, and we're all like, well, what have we signed up for here? I had a guest, an American guest, and he lost his son who was in the Navy, if I've got that right, um, had the same exact duty. And right. that was undoubtedly one of the things that led. He ended up taking his own life, which is absolutely horrendous. And it was a series of kind of huge misses and mistakes by the military chain of command that he himself oh. found himself in. Um, and he ended up being placed in a, in a brig, or I think it was an army, army version of a brig, but they gave him a belt. You know, so he basically hung himself with his own belt. And even though he was on, you know, suicide watch, which again is another whole entire conversation. But yeah. as a firefighter, as a paramedic, I've always said it's not the mutilation and the death that gets to you. It's watching the people left behind grieve. And he's, yeah. he talked about his son seeing these heartbroken families. So were you, were you witnessing the families as well when you were bringing these coffins back? And the, um, you know, um i did quite a few of them and i did a i did one for a lad that actually oh man he took his own life on the on the on the base i was i was working at and uh the the, the screams man like you know the, the a mother's a mother's it's like a wolf you know you, you don't you don't forget that man and uh 
you know that was a that was a hard um welcome to the marines you know and, and you knew that one day that could be you um which in essence i mean i only know how i feel i don't know how other people feel but for me i, I was I, that kind of made me feel like god do i want to be what do i want to do this um and uh but i did and uh you never forget those moments man you know, when you're in the when you're in theatre and operations or in exercises, you, you know it's about you and it's about the team and it's exciting and you know. But when you see that, it, it, you know, you don't ever really see the family's trauma um, and 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 in, in essence, what it would be like if you were to die, and it's 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 horrible. Yeah. Well, I think it's an important perspective for people to get. And I'm going to ask you a two-part question and a little bit about war. And it's, you know, no- nothing loaded, just, you know, two different perspectives. But the reason why I ask it is we, you know, if you're a young British lad or, or, or woman and you see the Royal Marine cr- recruiting video, if you're an American kid and you see the, you know, the Navy or whatever, it's all rock music and, you know, jet skis and it looks amazing. And, you know, so many people right. have had such a great experience within the military, within first responder professions. But it's very easy to kind of push away the dark side. When you pull out a burned up firefighter from a building that got collapsed on, you know, when you when you yeah. have a, a soldier that comes back with, you know, just half their body left and they're in a you know two foot body bag now, you know, when you see what would be someone's child decapitated on national television you know these are the others this is the other side of war and this is what we have to make sure that we also storytell because it's all well mm. and good to rah 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 about the military but yeah. we also need to need to use this as a cautionary tale so that we only go to war when it is completely unavoidable i don't know about the uk yeah. but here in america there's a fuckload of people making a shit load of money every time we're in a war so there's a there's an economic push to keep us in war and we as the people have to make sure that there's that balance to make sure that we don't go to war and send our children unless we absolutely have to i uh i I guess it's just wisdom and being older you know i um completely agree with what you said uh you know i was in the marines obviously and i did a did a lot of things in the Marines and um but I also in twenty twelve I worked for the American government in Afghanistan, right? So I've seen I've seen both sides of the coin. And uh America's a great country. You know, the UK's a great country. Um and the world is fantastic. But unfortunately the the powers that be and the people that make the big decisions don't ever see a, a combat field. They don't ever see they're never on operations, um, so they wouldn't see the trauma that you know we 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 give to other countries and take from other countries. And man, you know we're we're, we're English, we're American, and you're you're you're, you're in essence you're, you're killing someone's son, you know, or you're, you're killing someone's daughter or family. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bravado within the military and 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 when a lot of veterans as much as i respect them man like there's a lot of false bravado there and uh i don't think that's a good thing because it's not cool to do it's not cool to it's not cool to kill someone it's not it's not cool to decimate someone's country home family it's not cool um but as you mentioned it makes a lot of money and uh and and, and that's another thing i've learned and i don't get I left Af- I worked in Afghanistan for two years. Um, 
2012, 2014 for the American government. I was a, was a bodyguard um, for the, a company called Democracy International, which is ironic in itself now. And uh, our job was to protect those guys, you know, and the, and that was the first kind of, whenever I worked with Americans, I always looked at them and thought, man, they got the best kit, man. They got the best wages. They got the best this. So it's a, it's a machine. Um, it was one of the reasons I went to Afghanistan. It's one of the reasons I work for the Americans is because they pay the best. Uh, and they take care of you and they look after you. And the, the good thing about the Americans and, and you guys over there is they are very patriotic. You know, there's a pandemic of veteran problems in this country um, because the government don't take care of, of, of the veterans like they should, like they do in America. So props to America for that um, and, and its people. Um, but, you know, like there's dogs here. Sorry, man. Can you hear that? No, no, you're good, honestly. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so oh, just I'm I'm very uh philosophical with it now. And um you know, can you imagine if yeah, the Taliban came into America and said, This is how you're gonna vote. This is how you're gonna live your life now. And if you don't agree with it, well, we're just gonna kill you. You know? So in essence, that's what we've done. You know, I know that they did that at nine eleven, and and you know, uh, but that was a that was a, a unfortunate one or two percent of the not even one percent. You know, so God, every country has bad people in it. Every 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 country in the world has some people that want to do wrong, and and, and there's people like you and me, and that, that are ready to fight those people. And if it came to it, then yes, I'd do it again if they came to our country and they insisted on doing that, of course. But how we go about that nowadays and we're on such a precipice of, uh, you know, with social media and, and, and media and, 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 and just the world's got so small um, and, 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 that, and it's like a tinder box and a flame, you know, even over here, you hear about Donald Trump and Biden and, you know, and, and, and over here you've got Boris, you know, all these people are, inept and corrupt and and you know the good guys don't get to the top because they get bought out or they get you know i don't know but they they, they seem to get not get to the top because it's like a small group of people that kind of run the world really the one percent right and if you ask someone that said ah oh, guys why are we fighting men you know like should we just talk should we just talk out there's no money in that there's no money in love and, and being a community, right? There's money in arms and weapons and war. And uh, and that's been since day one, I think. Um, but yeah, no, that's my opinion on it, man. It's a, it's a, it's a, I love my country. I love, I, I, I love what I've done, but I love the world more, man. You know, so I, I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter anymore, man. <laughs> you know? Well, I think it takes, seeing the horrors in the world to really make you appreciate it too it's one thing you know being just pulling an occupation out of my rear butcher all right and then being all rah rah about war well that's all well and good but if one day you see children you know torn apart the way you do a cow or a pig that's going to change your lens completely whether it was in a car accident whether it was in a combat zone um you know so it does change and i think this, these are the voices that we need to hear and it's not saying yeah. oh let's just disassemble the military quite the opposite let's make it stronger and ready so god forbid an adolf hitler or someone rises their head again 
But touching on what you said, that, that history is doomed to repeat itself, as you said, we've had wars since the beginning of time, and what the common denominator is, is there a, a corrupt, greedy few that profit off the masses. And the more that we are divided, the weaker we get and we're distracted right. to not see the fact that, as you said, Boris or Biden or Trump or whoever, I mean, when we name these names, none of us listening are going, God, one of the best leaders I've ever known. No, you're like, how the <laughs> fuck did these people even get there in the first place? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's kind of, it's, it's, you know, it's hard not to be like nihilistic about it. And, 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 you know, I've had these conversations on the walk with very prominently intellectual people. And, you know, the flip side of it is, well, you can't change it and you don't want to beat them. So you're not going to join them. So you've got to make your own ripples. And, you know, so in essence, what you need to do, because it can, you know, trauma and, and, and war and veterans and people and life, and you don't have to be a vet. This is one of the things I'm not very... I'm not very fond of and very keen about being uh, ex-military. There's a lot of ex-military lads out there because it's always men because men are very, you know, uh, just because you were in the Marines, just because you were a special forces, it doesn't make you um, better than someone else. Um, you know, if anything, you know, rather than kind of having this select circle of people that I won't name names, but if they hear this, they'll know who I'm talking about and that's good enough for me, but that, you know, you're not better than anyone else. And if anything, you know, with what you've done, which is great and, and you're a highly skilled individual, then with that, you should help other people and you should include other people. Um, because just because you weren't in the military doesn't make you less of a person just because you chose a different career or something else, but being in the military and being a Marine and being a, a, in the army and being a paramedic and being a policeman and being a fire in the fire service, you know, with that has come a lot of trauma and wisdom as well. So you should kind of try and help, uh, you know, normal people, you know, because there's this thing, I believe that just because your forces, you're better than everyone else and, 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 and you're not, um, so I, I would love it if though those people, you know, were would understand that. And I get it because it's military and you all stick together. But this is part of the problem. You know, you should just open your mind and your hearts and be like, right, you know what, I have got this good skill and I've got these contacts and I've done this and done that. So how can I help you? Uh, you know, that's just my two cents on that. Absolutely. No, I agree a hundred percent. And I think that's it, is that we need the real leaders and like you said leaders doesn't mean a rank leader means people that are actually and this is the kind of human that i adore whether it's mark ormrod or some of these other you know fellow royal marines lee spencer that have come out of military and then how can i do more how can i serve and ryan parrott one of my good yeah. friends a navy seal that started a burn profit a burn injured um a non-profit and then he's done another one now we just did a thing called 7x around the world and that's uh going to create mental health resources not just funds but actual resources that people can look at and use and you know heal from but these mm -hmm. that's exactly it that's what you need to do with your service if you truly are in a life of service it took you into a uniform and then when you come out you were okay how can i help next you know i wore a uniform yeah, for 14 man. years and then this ended up being an amazing force multiplier to reach even more people than just sitting in a vehicle running one call at a time so it's it's a beautiful you know transition but uh yeah i mean that's if that's burning in your heart then walking around being entitled because you served in profession x 
is not the answer. You need to refine that thing that sent you into the service in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a very uh I'm a very simple man. And um you know, oftentimes humans can complicate so everything. And and it's very simple. We're gonna die one day. We're alive right now. We're on this rock, you know, that is spinning around so fast that we feel like we're still. Uh, you know, and there's so many mini miracles that need to happen for you to even wake up and for the you know especially with the current climate that we live in um you know so all those things happen and then one day you wake up and every day you wake up and one day you won't but i'm just like if 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 those people that we talk about realize that then you know we're on a world that is just one place yeah we've got passports and countries and affiliations and, and families and communities but in essence we all live in the same place so why is there this bloody fighting and, and, and well, you're not from here, so you can't come here. And, you know, I get it. You know, if, you, if you've if you got a, 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 you know, a police record, if you're a murderer, if you know that, well, fair enough. But going back in the day, you didn't have money and you didn't have passports. You just roamed the land and traveled the land and you set up a community and you walked around and you, everyone loved everyone, you know, to a certain extent. And, and we've lost, I feel like now, we're in a place that's more similar to hunger games than it is to, you know, to anything else. And uh, it, if we don't get that message across quickly, you know, then, then there's going to be a big problem um, because everyone seems to have a short attention span. Now everyone has a short fuse and, and things can escalate very quickly. Um, and, and that's been definitely the last 10, 20 years, you know, it's been emotion. And, uh, and that I feel like probably is to do with social media as well. Everything's so accessible now. That you know everything can be fake news, as Donald Trump says, and all that sort of thing. But you just don't know the truth anymore because there's so much noise. So you have to try and create your own ripples and make your own. Like you know, look at yourself as the world, and it's hard not to get bogged down, man. It's hard not to. You know, I've got friends in Afghanistan that I work with that were my drivers, and this. I love those guys. I still speak to them on WhatsApp, and it's hard when something happens like the Americans pulling out and just leaving them there. You know, they're, they're humans. They got stories. They got families. You know, Sudan at the minute, it's, you know, it's in the news a lot over here. You know, people are, are, are scrambling to get to that um, 20 kilometres, I think it is. They need to get to this airport in Khartoum. And if they don't get there, they're not getting picked up. I'm just like, what even is that? You know, like, you know, so you just got to try and be a good person yourself and try not to. It's hard, man, not to let that bother you, not to let that affect you, but you can't change it. So you've got to control the controllables. And that's you. Right. So how you live, how you act as I've seen on this walk, we'll, we'll create small ripples that hopefully will turn into waves. But if you're a good person, if you aim to be a good person, if you aim to take care of yourself, then that will affect someone else. And if you're polite and say hi to someone and, and nice to them, and it's all small ripples that do create waves. And I have seen that on this walk that I've been on. Beautiful. I couldn't agree more. I think that's it. You know, they, they say, if you know you want to fix the world, start at home, you know, change the world. Start Mate, it's so true and unfortunately so many people now I've, you know I, I refer to the walks I've just finished it and it's been a big part of my life for a few years now but there's so much kindness out there man so much and I've so I've seen all of it well that that leads me to my question I want to I want to take you to your combat zone and then we'll talk about the transition out and you know some of the struggles that led you to the walk the especially here in the US I always credit the BBC as one of 
I would say the best news organizations on the planet. Are they perfect? You know, depending on who you are, maybe not. But I, I've my whole life, you know, been exposed to them. It's pretty much been the news. Like, here's what's happened. There's not a lot of opinions and that kind of thing. Over here, the the mouthpieces of the left and the right are so polarizing and they're 100% a propaganda machine for the division of this country. So we get a very polarized view on war as well. Either all the way one way, you know, kill them all, stack bodies, let God sort them out, or all the way the other way, they're all baby killers, you know, let's just put flowers in the end of rifles and everyone will, will, will give up. And then you have the men and women, the children that we send to these places and those are the voices that we actually need to hear. So... We talked about, you know, obviously your your detail in Scotland first, and then you deployed to the Middle East. Re- regardless of the politics that sent you there, did you witness atrocities, you know, on the people of the countries themselves that made you realize that at that time there were some horrible people that needed to be taken care of? Well, um, so when I was there, so I went to Iraq. I've been, uh, man, I, so I've been all over the world. Um, on on operations, Northern Ireland, Iraq, Colombia, um, and I personally, I didn't see any of that. I wasn't at the forefront of that, which I'm actually glad about. Um, I can also say, yeah, I can say, I'm sure I can. Yeah, I can also say that I've never actually killed anyone. And now, like as a 39 year old man, can I do it? Could I do it? Yes, because I've been trained to do it. But am I glad I didn't do it? Fuck yes. I I am so. I you know this is what I talk about with the you know previously to you know the veterans and the, and the special forces and the, you know there's some good guys in there, um, but there's also some dicks. And uh, you know they 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 believe that it's the the hoorah kind of we killed we fucked them up man we killed them all. I'm like that is not cool. It's not cool. So I am. I didn't witness that. I nearly died a couple of times on various operations, but and when that happened, I was like, it honestly, like my brain couldn't comprehend it. It's like a movie. It's like you're watching a movie, you know, because it's like nine eleven when you're you're watching that as a sixteen year old boy. Um, when I was in the Marines, I was in Colombia. We nearly died, you know, and and uh, basically we went on a wrong turn, and and it turns out that the taxi man was corrupt, and we always went on a night out. And at the end of an operation, and we were out there a few weeks, teams of six, and, you know, we're young, man. You, you want to go out for on the piss, you know, like in the local, you know, in Colombia. It's honestly the only way people always say to me, what's it like out there? I was like, you know, the Bacardi Breezer adverts, they're not lying. You know, there's people dancing on the tables. It's like, it was, it's, you know, but we, we, we took a wrong turn in, in the wrong taxi. And it turns out that the taxi was in collusion with the police and the police were corrupt. And we ended up going down this dirt road, pitch black, two taxis, three in each. And uh, this was my first dealings with the universe, man, because uh, one of the lads runs in and does a recce. He's like, mate, no, it's like it's a, it's a brothel and there's a lot of dodgy people in there. Um, we get back in the in the taxis, pull out. But I remember just as we came into this dirt track, there was motorbike police or police on motorbikes pulling out. And then when we come back onto the road, we take a right and those said policemen have got their weapons up, pointing on our, our taxis. They drag us out of the taxis and they push us down onto the bonnets, you know, three, one, two and three. And then the same the other way, nine mils, like pistols at the back of our heads. They're all shouting. And obviously as a memo going forward, none of us could speak Spanish. 
Uh, <laughs> just about someone who could speak Spanish. Um, but this is the, you know, I I can't really remember much of it or how I felt because I genuinely didn't believe it. You know, people say it's you know only my it's only my opinion, but you know, are you scared to die or were you scared? And I, I, I no, because my brain couldn't compute that that might be happening right now. Um, but anyway, the the universe, man, because it must have been about eleven o'clock at night, and it, it's like being in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around, and this van pulls up, gets out of his car starts speaking in Spanish and it turns out that that man was a cleaner on the ship as a contracted cleaner and knew and recognised us and said you can't do this to these guys because they're actually marines and there will be a big problem if you if you kill these guys and he then spoke English to us and said they just said if you give them some petrol money they let you go. Oh, that's all they wanted. They were just they were just stranded. <laughs> they just so we gave them a bit of petrol money, and then I had the best night of my life. I'm sure <laughs> you're living life to the fullest after that. But uh, you know, um, in 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 answer to your you know your question, I didn't I didn't I didn't see any of that. It was definitely there, but um, I am genuinely just glad I didn't kill anyone, man. Yeah, I mean that's that's got to be a weight. It's got to be an immense weight that the average civilian, like you said, is like, oh, it must be so good. Like, no, I mean these these men and women that be on the show, some of these things haunt them to this day. Hey, so uh, you know, knowing the lads I know and knowing the time I did and what I did and where I did it, like that might, may have been seen as cool, but it's kind of like you said with the propaganda machine of the American, you know, and it's kind of thrown it. It's cool to do that, you know, you're trained to do that, um, but. God, I'm glad because there's also a lot of people I know that did do that and they are, they've lived with it for the rest of their lives and some of them have ended their lives and some of them have just constantly been struggling because how can you get over that? You know, how can you, you know, know and, and as you go old, it's, it's wisdom, it's age, it's probably why they get you when you're young, you know, but the older you get, you start having families and friends and deep connections with people and you think to yourself, I've, I've done that, to, I've, I've killed that in, in another country, but these are the same people that they are. Uh, oh man, yeah. So I'm, 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 I was trained to do it. I could have done it, and I'm so glad I didn't do it. That's amazing. Which not a very marine thing to say, right? The whole kind of bravado of it. But I'm so glad, man. But isn't isn't the goal ultimately though to to have the desired outcome? And if you can have that without any loss of life, isn't that the gold standard? Absolutely, man. And I mean, I could talk to you for 25 hours about this it's since day one in time and money is the root of all evil and all that sort of thing. But God, just sit around a table and talk it out, bro. The fuck? If you, if we fuck your country up and you fuck our country up, where, what are we doing? Where, where are we winning here? We're on the same rock, bro. Like, you know, and I just wish these people would know that. It is just baffling and they probably do know it, but they're so corrupted by money that they've forgotten that yeah well i think as well it's again it's up to the people the masses to look at these few and go hey this is this is starting to look like remember that thing in 1940s remember that dude with the mustache this is looking a shitload like that we need to nip this in the bud now and this is the problem yeah. but 
if you divide people over religion and, you know, whatever fucking political party that you vote for or whatever beer now has someone with transgender and now you're all angry about that, whatever the fuck it is that's distracting you and dividing you, you're not looking the right way. Movies are often right and uh, or, or kind of bang on the money, you know, and, and I always just think of when, when you talk about this and when we talk about things like this, I always remember Bane in black man tom hardy man and he goes into that stadium and, and and he's like this is all entertainment like you know and i'm just like man you know but it is it's all a smoke screen you know and uh and, and unfortunately a lot of us fall for it you know well conversely the other side of that question because this is equally as important and it also doesn't get the airtime i've heard so many stories of kindness and compassion amidst a combat zone because again one of the things that we do so poorly is we say oh we're at war with iraq we're at war with afghan no we're not there are extremists in those countries that are terrorizing their own people and we are going in to help them so talk to me about that talk to me about the allies and the kindness and compassion that you witnessed in all the places around the world oh man in its finite nature humans are amazing like you know they are kind and amazing and um I, I, I use my experience of working in Afghanistan the most because I've spent two years there. So, you know, six to eight weeks in Kabul and then I had four weeks off in Thailand and Asia. And that's what I did for two years. So I always go back to that because if anything, for me, I was a Marine and I trained as a Marine and I passed out as a Marine and I did it for four and a half years, but I did that for two years. And I always go back to that. And the Afghans, man, they are so kind. They're so nice. And they've just been born with the wrong passport and, uh, and they can't escape it. They're just like me and you. They got kids, they got dreams, they got, you know, and, and Kabul and Afghanistan itself is a beautiful country. Um, they just unfortunately are in a place where they have a lot of natural resources and, and, and for millennia, there's been wars there. Um, but we still don't seem to learn that lesson, but, uh, they're beautiful people. Um, and if anything, it's very frustrating because we have in America and, uh, and the UK and Europe, we're so very lucky to have choice. Um, you know, there's always someone worse off and it is out there. It is like that out there. They are literally hand to mouth, you know, um, and they're just struggling. And yet still they find the time to ask you how you're doing. They'll go and get you some Afghan bread down the road in the morning and give it to you so you've you got a nice breakfast, you know. They'll make you tea. They'll invite you in. They'll invite you to see their families. They'll make you a part of their family, um, which in itself is amazing. But also, again, as you mentioned, and it is true, it's always the 1%. And for some reason, the, the, especially the media, man, they, they like to play on the 1% because that's how they create the stories and create the narrative that all, all Afghans are Taliban. And they're not. And actually, the Afghans fucking hate the Taliban. And they hate them for, you know, I, I've, I've lived there for two years. I, I've, I've heard about the stories from Afghans themselves, you know, and, and I've looked into it because I lived there. So I like to do that. And in the 70s, you know, it was part of the hippie trail, man. And it was like girls were wearing mini skirts, and it was a very bougie place. You know, and it was, it was a thriving place with some very intelligent people in it. It was very forward thinking at the time. And, uh, and now, God, man, it's like the dark ages, man. Um, so can you imagine that? Like living there. And, and I could live there and go home. I could live there and be there for a little bit, hopefully stay alive and 
you know, and do my thing, and then and then I'll see you later, guys. Oh, by the way, I've just made more money than you making it in 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 your lifetime in a in, a, in a eight weeks. It, it's just so, you know, yeah, man. So, in answer to your question, kindness wins always, man. Kindness always wins. It always will. And uh, the experience I've had on this walk, and the experience of all my life, in all those far fun places that people don't often go to, it wins out there as well. Yeah, beautiful. I just uh, just met a guy who I had on the show, um, Azizullah Aziz, and his uh, Marine. I think it was Marine Recon Shag. Shag excuse me, Chad Robichaux. It's a lot of uh, consonants in those words. Um, they actually came to my town. The one of the local churches invited them in, and they did the whole weekend of jujitsu seminars and, and um, talks. But Aziz was one of the basically. Chad wanted to get Aziz and pull him out during the withdrawal because he was in danger. He was a, an ally, you know, he was helping the allies. So um, he ended up pulling him out, which led to this entire, like, mass evacuation of, I think it ended up being thousands of people that they got out. I think I saw that, man. And it was, it was um, Tim Kennedy. Yeah, so save our allies. So yeah, Tim Tim joined them as well. But um, yeah, an amazing story. But you hear from Aziz, you hear from... Fahim Fazli, who's a Afghani who became a, an actor in Hollywood. He was in 12 Strong, some of the other ones. But he actually stopped his acting career to go back to Afghanistan to be an interpreter for the Marines. Um, you know, uh, Wally, who's from Iraq. I mean, you hear these people that are actually from these yeah. countries, the pros and the cons. Like Fahim is like the one bad thing about, you know, pulling everyone out of Afghanistan is we've got no great people left yeah. to rebuild the country. And it's like, okay, we never thought about that. Yeah. But, you know, when you hear that, not only that, but then when you reverse engineer some of our forefathers and how that impacted problems in the Middle East, problems in, you know, wherever. I mean, you look at the, um, what they call the Somalian pirates. The origin story of that is overfishing their waters by other nations. And then they couldn't, you know, basically use the very food source and, and, um, the thing that created money for them is taken from them. So now some of the people, you know, find themselves driven to crime so they can feed and clothe their families. So it's all very well to demonize people. But if you got to take time and actually learn how that even came to be, a lot of us would be like, Oh, okay. I feel like a bit of a dick now. You can understand why that would happen. You know, reference the Somalian pirate origin story. You can understand that, you know, if that's going to happen. You know, if you've got a family and, and you're starving, hungry, you're going to do all you can. You be kind, you kind of become a bit of a beast, you know, an animal, you know, in, in that environment, which is what well, we're cavemen, right? You know, so you can see why they do it, and then and also you can see why there is such a hatred for, for um, you know, forces in in these countries, you know, because we've decimated their way of life and become a big part of their life, and 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 you can see why that would happen. But yeah, it's it's tough. But like I said, it. Kindness wins always, man. And uh, these it's these little actions that you do, that I do, that, that those guys do, you know, that you just mentioned. It's, it's, it's them that will inspire someone else to go, you know what, they did that, I'm going to try that. And it's a collective group of people doing all those sort of things every day that in the end, hopefully, the kindness will win. Absolutely. Well, I want to get to your transition and obviously the journey to the walk. So one of the, the things that I see really amplifies the struggle that maybe is already within is when someone goes from uniform back to civilian life you know we've we've had try we've had purpose we've had camaraderie we've had you know shared suffering and there's so many elements that 
literally one day we're in, the next day our ID doesn't work and we're out the other side of the gate. So talk to me about your decision to kind of leave initially and then what was your transition story like? Yeah, so I, uh, I left the Marines. I always planned to just see if I could do it. Um, so in doing that, I, I was a Marine and, and, and the minimum service was four and a half years. So I, I always planned to do that. I, I, in essence, didn't think I'd do it and get in the Marines anyway. So I passed out of the Marines. I was a Marine. So I always intended to do that. Um, I was young enough to kind of try and do other things um, because I could see within that you sometimes can become a bit institutionalized. And a lot of the lads still like that when they leave and it causes problems. And I didn't want to be that guy. And I'm a believer in the kind of I want to do the most I can in life. So I um, I left. Um, and actually a week after leaving, I went on a TV show, uh, over here, which is called shipwrecked. And basically I lived on a desert Island with 30 very attractive people, um, for six months. Um, so that was a kind of, uh, an eye opener in itself. You know, it's probably one of the reasons why I am very confident because I was thrust into TV and cameras and people all around me and, and living on a desert island, but it was amazing. And uh, I then became a bit of a Z-list celebrity, you know, just on the cusp of being known but not known. And, and, and that in turn led to, you know, groups of us going around the UK and, and getting paid, you know, to kind of go on these uh, nightclubs and, and, and all that sort of thing. And, and as a young lad, you know, I've just left the Marines and now I'm on the TV show and everything that came with that, it was all this like popularity. Everyone knew who I was, you know, students and girls. And I was like, this is amazing. And I didn't even have to, didn't even have to try, man. I just slept with a lot of women. <laughs> you know, I was punching above my weight and, uh, you know, I just, you know, we just drank and I slept with these girls and it was great. And then, after about a year, I was just like, God, this isn't so great anymore. You know, if you do too much of one thing, it becomes a bit of a, a maybe an addiction, maybe a, something that's not good for you um, and very soulless, actually, and shallow. So after a year of that, I, uh, I got the call from my brother and he said, mate, do you want a job? Yes. Send your CV. I sent my CV across. I knew I'd get it because of my marine experience. And uh, I was in on a plane February 10th, February 2012, to go and live in Thailand and work in Afghanistan. Um, so I did that two years, six to eight weeks at the time, great time, dangerous, you know, crazy times, beautiful times, um, made a load of money. And then I'll go to Thailand for four weeks, blow it all. Uh, you know, it's the Marine mentality, man. You might die one day, suspend everything, you know, it's like what? which in itself is really bad for when you leave and go into Civvy Street because there's no one to pay your rent and there's no one to give you food and there's no one to like, you know, it's just, it's kind of bizarre to be honest. And there's no aftercare that is very much needed. Um, yeah. So I did that. And then, you know, in a nutshell, um, I felt like I was rolling that death dice too much, you know? And uh, I, I quickly realized it, working in Kabul that the money's not everything. Um, you know, I was at 31, 32 and I, I'm, I'm, you only get so many rolls of that dice, man. And and I was thinking, oh, fucking hell, I'm going to, I'm going to get that roll and it's not going to come back. Um, so I naturally became a kindergarten teacher. Well, that's the obvious progression. Uh, right. <laughs> I, I, I just love Thailand. And, um, the only reason that I could stay, you know, was becoming a teacher, um, and again, same as the Marines, same as being on TV, you know, I auditioned for it and thought, let's just give it a go. 
didn't think I'd get it. And again, teaching the same, I had no qualifications. Um, and in the Marines, there's this kind of saying, no cuff too tough. You know, there's nothing you can't try. Just give it a go and see where you get. And, uh, and I did that. So I became a teacher and I uh, did demo lessons. I went to an agency and, and it's, that was wild, man. I, I actually, you know, found that harder than being a Marine because I'm stood up like this giant of a man to these two-year-old high kids singing Bar Bar Black Sheep. And the parents are there filming me on their videos. Like, we were so good. Like, I'm dying inside. You know, it's so uncomfortable, man. You know, singing nursery rhymes and all that sort of thing. But when the, when the parents did leave, oh, man, it's like therapy, that, that job. You know, it was just getting so much love all, all, all the time off of off these little babies. Um, so yeah, I did that for four years. I became one of the the most popular teachers there. Uh, I, I, I've learned I do things in my life for the for the love of it, and 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 the things that I've done in my life where there is a purpose and where I'm serving someone else. So in essence, it's greater than me. They're the most rewarding. And uh, and that was that job. Um, and then twenty fast forward to 20, 2018, um, I'm with a with a Thai lady called Joy, and her daughter Can, who ironically in the universe, man, I didn't ever speak to her ever. The most I was like, that was it. You know, she uh, had a daughter that I taught in my second year teaching. So when she was two, she's now six. Um, we got together. Um, it was great, man. You know, Joy was amazing. She's an amazing human. She's um, very educated in Thailand and she runs her own audit and accounting business. And so for a year, I was just living the best life, bro. I was, you know, I was a kept man, you know, with this, with this cougar that is like, you know, traveling all over Asia uh, because before COVID was a thing in Asia, you know, it's very hot out there. So a lot of people already work from home and it's so, it's so populated that it's easier to work from home and they're already on a laptop. So Joy would just take the laptop wherever we were in, in China, in, in Malaysia, Cambodia, all over Thailand. And we just traveled. Um, and I became, um, in essence, Can's dad, really. And I, I took that on because I love her anyway. And, uh, and I believe that's a good thing to do is if you get with a mum, you, you get with all that comes with that, you know? And, uh, yeah, I loved it. And I, I also became a private English teacher. So she now speaks fluent English um, because when they're so young, they, they're like sponges, man. And uh, yeah, 2018 came around. And because I was a very popular teacher in, in, in Bangkok and all the parents loved me, I think the reason I was a popular teacher is I, I loved it, um, but I don't do politics. I don't do paperwork in essence. I don't do anything like that. My job is to teach the children. And it's for them to feel good and happy and safe when they come to school. So I became a bit of a dad to them. And then at the end of the day, I'd hand them back. And a lot of the, the teachers and the parents struggle because their kids just hated coming to school because they're so young. They're two, they're three, they're four. They're crying their eyes out because they miss their mum obviously and their dad. And I kind of took that away. And I just, as long as they're happy, I'm happy, man. So I'm playing games, reading stories, coloring with them, and just basically giving them all my attention. And uh, that's why I became a good teacher. So when the parents found out that I came, I came back and I was, I was doing that with Joy. And I was with Joy. They kept messaging her, just saying, like, it's teachable. Can you teach our children again? I'm like, nope, 
no, no, you know, because I fell out of love with the, the politics side of it. But after a year, I was like, well, I better make some money now, you know, because I can't do this all my life. And I missed working and having uh, a, a project. So I decided that I'd do that. So in Bangkok, Joy had this building that was like five floors and the second and third floor was her business and the bottom floor was free. So she said, I just have that room. So it's quite a big room. And uh, I basically started teaching children again. So uh, it culminated in a year of me teaching 30 children uh, 20 hours a week. So for instance, Monday, three till four, five would come, four till five, six would come. Um, five till six and that was the hours and I did that all week and then the kids would come two three times in the week and then the weekend Saturday I'd work all day Sunday I'd work for two hours I didn't want to but the parents offered me a lot of money <laughs> to teach their kids for two hours I was like money wins you know so I I did that but again I, was, I wasn't working much and in the week I'd go running I'd go to the gym I'd do my time and I'd travel with joy you know and uh, I was loving it loved it I loved it I was making I was making more money there in 20 hours a week than I did in the Marines which is you know I, I in essence I thought I was living my best life I'd completed life bro I was 37 I'm like this is a dream I feel like I'm mugging the parents off they're, I'm charging them this cash and they're paying me for this I'm just playing with the kids I'm just chatting reading stories but they're learning so much English because it's all in English you know so that's what they actually want and uh I loved it, man. I, I I had a great girlfriend. I loved her very much. She was very good to me. Um, her daughter Can was a, is a, is an absolutely epic human, and all the kids I looked after were great. Thailand was great to me. Asia was great to me. I loved the culture and the vibe and the energy of the place. Um, and then it all came crashing down, man. Um, overnight, September 2019. Um, I went to renew my visa. It's been fine for seven years uh, and they said no you need to come back to the UK come back to London get your visa there and you can come back in three to six months um, and you got to leave by next week I was like yeah no uh, but I obviously had to and uh, Joy obviously was just like what the fuck and I had a week man so a week later I'm on a plane flying to London um, leaving them behind, um, lost my lost the job, the business, my money, and a, and and feeling awful, man, but very traumatized right there. And I didn't see it at the time. So a week later, I'm I'm back in Bournemouth. I'm living with my dad, who I don't get on with. Um, I, he hasn't really been a big part of my life, but I had nowhere else to go. Um, <clears throat> and I was working in a call center selling insurance. <laughs> wild bro and uh yeah that 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 was tough and uh, i've spoke about it so much now so it's so easy to talk about which is a message in itself but for those 10 months so between september 2019 and june 2020 especially probably september 2019 to Christmas 2019, those those three, four months, I don't hate anything. But I don't hate, I don't believe in hate. It's an emotion. It's a powerful one, but it's also a very negative one. Um, but I, I hated my life. And uh, I didn't tell anyone because I was a man and a Marine, you know, 
people ask me, you good? Yeah, I'm good, good. But damn, I was not good. And um, just the way I spoke to myself, man. I don't really, it's hard to talk about that guy now because it's not hard to talk about him because that was a version of me, but it's hard to recognize him now because I'm so different as we'll come to that about on the walk, you know, but um, I just remember just talking to myself so bad, man. Like, I'll be in this office that I hated. I was working with all these guys that I wasn't particularly fond of and I'll just look around selling insurance, calling people up and I would, I just remember saying to myself, you're such a fucking loser. You know, like that's what I'd say in my head. Like you're such a fucking loser. Like you're a Marine and now look at you, that kind of talk. Doing that for four months will not get you anywhere. And it was so, I was so low. It was winter. I had no money. It was hand to mouth, man. Because that job was mostly commission. So if I'm talking to myself like this and I'm feeling like that and it's commission, I'm not making much money, man. You know, and uh, all I'm doing is dreaming of Thailand and that, it, oh God, like, you know, living that life I was living and, and living, and it could, it's like night and day, you know, it's night and day, um, black and white, it's so different. But yeah, three or four times, um, I remember thinking and really, really, really coming close to thinking and, and ending my life. You know, I, I just didn't want to be here, man. I thought this, it can't get any lower than this. And uh, then Christmas came and I had, I had a panic attack, basically. It is the most trivial thing. So basically, I felt so low. I was working a lot, hating the job, living at my dad's, hating the living there. They just didn't welcome me, you know. It is what it is. Um, you know, my dad had me in the loft. And he's a very successful person. He's got a lot of cash, big house, all that sort of thing. Had me in the loft and on a on a on an airbed, you know. And these things people don't know, um, but I'm I'm starting to talk about them now because it's part of the story and it's part of me and a spade a spade a spade man. So uh, I was um, yeah sleeping on an airbed. It was fucking freezing. So I was working a job I hated, living somewhere I hated. It was twenty four seven fight or flight, and uh, I remember. So I used to go to a place called Weymouth, which is in Dorset. So it's an old English seaside town, like the movies. And uh, Friday night, I'd go there. Sunday night, I'd stay there. Maybe Monday morning, I'd go back. 30 quid a night. It was pre-COVID. You know, it was everything. It was winter. It was cheap. And I just used to go there to get my, uh, my get out my own head, have a coffee on my own, and know that I could sleep properly, and you know, all that sort of thing. But the thing is with doing that, the Monday blues, bro. Woo. They were a thing for me then because I'd live this weekend and go for a run and go for a walk and feel like free a little bit. And then Monday I'd have to go back to that job. Whoa, man. And uh, one of those times I wasn't even, you know, my mum, my, my dad and my stepmom, they would, she's very good to the boys. They got three sons and she treats them like they're 10. And I always used to tell them, I remember like, you're, you're lucky, you know, your, your mum's good to you. You know, she does all that washing and, you know, it's mad. And uh, this one time, I didn't even do my washing, man. I felt that low. I wasn't even washing my clothes, man. Like, barely even wanted to get up. And uh, I remember my brother, he's, he's uh, 30, 31. And he's just got this obscene amount of underwear collection, right? It's, it's a big drawer. So I open the drawer and I'm thinking, I haven't got any clothes. 
So I'm just going to borrow some of his wash his underwear and I'm going to um, put it back in the wash when I get back. So I picked some pairs of underwear and that was it. He must have had 100 pairs in there. So I'm thinking he won't miss them. So that was that weekend. The following week, probably Wednesday or Thursday, I think it was mid-December 2019, I come back from work and I'm sat in the lounge just trying to be invisible, really. And uh, my dad comes in the lounge, so oh, um, did you, have you borrowed some of Tom's underwear? Uh, instantly, I just said, no, no, no. Okay. Shuts the door, goes back in the kitchen. I'm feeling like, fucking hell, I just lied. Why'd I do that? You know, I didn't put these underwear in the wash because I felt so large, I didn't even want to own it. Go upstairs and I can hear my dad and my stepmom arguing. And I'm thinking, that's just going to, that's about me. So uh, I, I, after about one or two minutes of talking horrendously to myself again, I just say, fucking hell, man, just own it and go downstairs and tell them you took the underwear. So I go downstairs, I open the door. I, I say, are you guys arguing about me? My dad's like, no, 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 no. I was like, you definitely are. And then I just have the panic attack. Um, 10, 15 minutes. I can't breathe. I'm crying uncontrollably. I'm an absolute mess. It's funny now, but within the first minute, my dad was like, no, no, don't worry, man. We'll buy you some underwear. Don't worry about the underwear. You know, because my dad thought it was about the underwear. That I was just <laughs> you know? And it's funny because the, the the underwear that I took was pink and that's my favourite colour. And, and, and my brother's obviously, because it was his favourite pair of underwear. I was like, oh, gosh. And he's come back in the week and asked his mum for this underwear that's not there he can't find it he's accused her of not doing the washing which is just a first world problem in itself and I've got them in my underwear in my bag upstairs so you know that it it was a trivial moment but obviously it had been building up for three or four months and uh the first words I said I, I I'll never forget it is uh I feel like a failure that's what came out of my mouth and uh my dad obviously was like you're not a failure You've done more than most people. And I was like, I know, but I feel like one. Um, and then and then COVID came. So March 2020. So I, that light of going back to Thailand, they definitely closed the borders straight away. We kind of just messed around with that. And um, I was just, I was lost, man. Like I was just like, just going along with it. Um, but what I started to do was walk, you know? So I started to walk um, and, and feel good. So, um, mid June 2020, man, like it's, it's just the most crazy, obscene, random, unbelievable message that I got from a friend who I actually met last week. But, um, it just said, sent me a message on my favorite walk at the time in the sun. And it all it said was, bro, you need to walk around the UK and write a book about it. And I, fucking grabbed that and I haven't looked back since man and now we're here well firstly I mean you know what a what a powerful journey man so there's a couple of things I want to go back to in a minute but so there you are you living as you as you perceive probably your best life to use a a young person's term and then that is literally snatched from me and I and I know exactly what you mean with that sales thing I, I walked the streets of London after I graduated school and did cold, cold cold selling on the streets in businesses and that fucking knot in your stomach on the way to work to a job that you fucking hate you just is fucking crushing. Hate 
it's it's soul destroying and then you've got to fake it till you make it just to get some money in yeah it's just, oh yeah so i mean obviously we'll, we'll talk about the walk in a second but i mean you had a woman that you're in love with you had a little girl that you were in love with you had a job teaching children you know which i'm sure must have been a powerful um kind of perspective too where you realize you've you've seen some horrors in the world and now you realize that when we're two we don't we don't have racism we don't want to take over countries we don't want to start cigarette companies we just want to play and learn and sing and dance and do roly polies eats and just drink some milk and then kind of have a nap please i'm like yeah <laughs> so i mean have yeah here we are now in 2023 i mean what whatever happened to that relationship did you have to both move on in the end just because of the universe throwing it that way yeah you know we we, we um initially well, i was we stayed in touch every every day i'll call her every day um thankfully to you know whatsapp and stuff you can just call straight through and uh I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't tell Joy, even Joy, how I was feeling. You know, I, uh, I also didn't feel like she'd understand. And I, I know that she probably, she could understand. You know, I uh, communicated quite a lot. I was going to go back and then I had the panic attack. But then when COVID came, um, we were on different time zones, man. And just before COVID came anyway, I feel like, you know, we kind of grew apart. Um, not in the sense of because we wanted to. But I, she's a great person, and uh, I, I really don't believe in people that have relationships with someone, and then they go and then they hate them after, or they talk smack about them after, because that says more about you than them. But that lady, for a long part of my life, gave me a good time, man, good memories, and was was someone I needed. Um, so I now just know that. I hope I don't know for certain, but I hope she's happy. You know, she deserves that um, and can as well. And every now and again, I will get a message off Instagram for from her. And it's mostly always because Can's so proud of me because she's watching my posts that you've seen on, on my on my walk. So, you know, I, I'll go back there one day. I love to see them, you know, just to be like, thank you, you know, give them a hug, probably 25 hugs, it's more than that, but you know, it'd be nice, but that at the time was very traumatic. But, you know, when you grow up, you kind of, in order to to, to survive and, and be a good person and a human, you have to kind of learn to let go um, and understand that sometimes things happen that you don't want them to. But the universe and the gods have a bigger plan, man. And, 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 and that's definitely happened to me. So I love them. I still do. Uh, I always will, but there was another plan in motion, and now I've moved on from that relationship as such as a boyfriend and girlfriend and future like that. But not for one second do I regret any of it. Yeah. So you get this message from your friend, like you said, you grab it with both hands. So talk to me about how much money you had in your pocket, and then let's let's begin that journey. Yeah, man. Um, so I was, I was living. Um, with the guy that was running the insurance company. Man, it was just brutal, bro. Like, now I look back on it, I'm just like, man. So um, I'd get paid, say, £300 a week. Uh, I don't know what that is in dollars. Not it a depends lot. what year you ask me. It used to be like $1,000. I used to joke with Americans, but now it's not far off 300 because uh, I think the pound got pretty weak a while ago. 
Right. But I was, I was getting paid £300 a week. And uh, he'd transfer me the money in front of my face to my account on my phone. We're still, you know, next to each other pretty much. And, I, and I, he'd transfer £300. And right there and then, as soon as he did that, I'd transfer back £180 for my rent. So I've got £120 for seven days. Phone, transport, bus, food, coffee. I was making nothing, man. Um, which is also really annoying and down and depressing. and um, But it's all part of this origin story, man. But yeah, I got that message. And uh, I had £300 in my account. Um, I knew I needed it, man. I needed I needed the adventure. Um, I also had nothing to lose because I had nothing to lose, you know. Uh, and so I, after a few sleepless nights, decided that I'd do it. I'd give it a go because it was always kind of like the thing that kept playing on in my mind was the was the regret was the regret of not doing it. Um, you know the the kind of like me 20 years down the line that didn't do it um and also with the way my my mind was working at that time and how i was talking to myself if i didn't do it i feel like i was quite, I was quite worried about myself if i didn't do it that where, where would if i went left instead of right and did the walk then what, where was left going to be you know and i don't think of it would have ended very well um so yeah i i, I set up an instagram because a good friend of mine said, mate, you need to, you need to journal this. Like if you're going to write a book, this is a good journal. Instagram's a good journal. You'll forget a lot of it. Um, so set up an Instagram and also people need to see this, man. It's amazing. Like this is going to be amazing. So set the Instagram up. I set the date and, uh, July the 19th, 2020, I left. Um, damn, man. Yeah. And I just knew, I fully, fully believed in my ability physically. Um, there was no need to train. I was already quite fit anyway. But, you know, what's the point? The way I look at it is if you train for something like this, you're wasting time. You might as well train as you go. Yeah, what are you going to do? Walk to train? You might as well just start walking the journey. Right. Go to the gym and get fit and you're gonna, that's going to happen. Um, and I, I, I left and I thought I genuinely believed that with the lack of funds and just the, the severity of it, that I'd get probably 10 days down the road. Um, but there was this kind of voice in my head, heart, gut instinct. Uh, I knew the universe would catch me, man. But I knew it. I believed it. That's why I left. That's why I took that leap of faith on myself. But I didn't know when it would happen. And it turns out that it's the first step first step man I had this overwhelming feeling um, voice in my head that only I know existed and when I tell people they're like no really and I'm like honestly I'm not gonna I, there's no point I, I, I'm not gonna lie about it but I genuinely I took that first step and I had this like I don't know what you want to call it like a voice of feeling but whatever the voice or the feeling was it said to me you're where you're meant to be in your life right now and this is what you're meant to be doing right now and, and and that was comforting, um, but it was also inspiring, man. You know, I took that first step and I put my foot in front of the other and 
freaking hell, man. What a ride. Now, I had a guy on the show um, who did a show on that. I think it was Netflix called The Kindness Diaries, Leon Logothetis. And his goal was to do these these journeys relying solely on the kindness of strangers. So to fill, I think he had a motorbike, so to fill his, his petrol tank, to stay the night for food. And it, amazing. it was amazing. But that wasn't during COVID. Now, you're embarking on this right? trip in July 2020. I'm in COVID, bro. So, I'm fully deep in COVID. So talk to me about that. You know, what 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 were some of the moments where despite all the t- the fear-mongering and terror that was being perpetuated in the world at that point, that people were, you know, willing to interact with a stranger when and some people wouldn't even interact with their own family. You know what, man? It was one of the reasons I was quite worried about how am I going to do this. Um but I never saw it, man. I, I, I never saw the fear. Um, all I saw was straight off the bat. So the first night, I'll never forget that night, man. I've walked 37 kilometers. I'm absolutely wired. You know, what the fuck am I doing? Like, yeah, I'm close enough to a home to call and say, oh, can you come get me? You know, I'm close enough. Um, and it was July the 19th, 2020. So it was summer here it's very warm and at the time god i had about 30 kilograms in my back on my back it was back breaking because i was packed for a year because i anticipated that it would take a year and i didn't know that the uk would be so big because when you watch the weather <laughs> it doesn't look big. those, those you know, clouds like, are fucking huge that's the problem it throws everything right? off <laughs> and the scale of it is the scale so i just looked at it and thought, wow, it's not that big and also i have nothing to go on because who no one's really done it and, and it's not like commonly known how, you know. Did, had you mapped out the perimeter though? Did you know how many miles or kilometers it was supposed to be? Googled it, man. I just Googled it and I didn't find a lot. So I just thought, give it a go. I'll, just, I'll, I'll look at my Fed pit uh, when I'm done. <laughs> right. I got my Garmin and I was like, I didn't even have a Garmin at the time. Um, I, I, actually, I couldn't afford a tent, so I didn't even have a tent. Um, so I, I slept outside, um, got my roll mat out. I got my uh, sleeping bag out that a friend had given me. Um, I remember it, man, so vivid in my mind. But um, So uh, there's a place called Lulworth Cove, and it's on the Jurassic Coast in Dorset. And, and I got to the top of the high ground, and I yomped 37 kilometers. I'm absolutely fucked, man. I'm... I'm so tired. I'm in so much pain. My Instagram's going nuts. I'm like, what is happening right now? And I'm also very alone. So I get to the top of this massive hill and it goes up and down like this. Just a little bit, man. It's like the height of a table. It's just, And I, the marine in me is like, well, I'm going to sleep in, in those the divots because any wind that does come from the east to the west will, you know, keep me covered and safer and, and, and warmer. And that was it. Got my head down to freaking exhausted. So at that point in time, sleeping on the grass on the ground was not a problem for me. I turned my phone off because I didn't have much battery. I didn't have any power banks. They'd already been spent. Um, and all I can say is that I know now it was about 11, 07, 11.10-ish, 11.11 at night because I turned my phone on. But I woke up. And I had this overwhelming feeling that someone was watching me. 
And obviously, when you're in the middle of nowhere, that's quite alarming. It's like when you go to a pub or a club or a bar or a library or a school or supermarket and, you know, someone's you feel like someone's looking at you and you look over and they actually are. It's that whole thing you just can't explain. So I woke up with that powerful feeling. So I look up and there's just millions of stars. Uh, I look left, nothing. I look right and bang right there. I can almost literally touch it. It's a big stag silhouetted and stood right over me. And it sounds so romantic, but I shit my pants. <laughs> and, uh, that know, should be like, a t-shirt. <laughs> oh man, it sounds so romantic. And it, I ricked it, man. It was, you know, I'm not used to seeing that. And and I was scared. I was like, what the fuck? So I sat up and I'm I swearing at the stag and nothing. I stand up in my sleeping bag. And I'm jumping up and down, nothing. And then it just walks off of its own accord. And I think, fuck this. So I get my phone out, turn it on. It's like 11 or 07 or something like that. Get the torch on. I pack all my kit away and I, I yomp down two kilometers slower than slow. Cause I thought, don't break your ankle on the first night, man. And I sleep in a graveyard in a, in a church. Why, why, why a graveyard if you had all the fields and all that stuff? Why did you choose? Was there a, was there a shelter point or you just like, oh, this isn't hard enough? bit of nice flat grass and uh it was and it, it there was a the, the thing is that i most remember about that is every hour on the hour the clock bell went and i was like this is annoying so i was kind of like on century i was waking up every like hour and uh the next day i told this story i woke up at six o'clock so i didn't get any sleep um you know sleeping on the floor was very uncomfortable anyway and i went i went and got in the, in the sea it was oh man it was so sunny the skies were clear the water was just as clear and I got, I went for a sea dip, and I felt brilliant, man. But I then the next day told this story uh, on my Instagram, and it was eighty percent women because women are feminine; they have the feminine energy, they're spiritual people, you know, and they're mothering. Um, so yeah, they said uh, my Instagram melted when I told this story, and it um, basically turns out that a stag is the spiritual sign of protection and a new journey. And I was just like, can't, you can't, you know, you can't write that. And uh, and on this walk, the whole way around, it's been constant stories, especially in Scotland, of me and stags. And it gives me comfort now, man. Like I, I, I you know, I've, I've I've met friends up there, you know, to to quickly go forward in time, uh, and and they call me the animal whisperer, man, because with the stags wild in the middle of nowhere, in the Highlands of Scotland, which is the most beautiful, spectacular place on my walk, I'm literally talking to them. And I've got friends taking pictures of me and they're like, how do you talk to them? So like, how are they so close to you? I don't, I don't, I don't know, man, but I'm a believer in that. And uh, I'm a believer in energy and your energy speaks before you do. And that goes to animals and dogs and, and everything in between. Um, but that was the story of my first night. And then second night, third day, I'm walking from a place called Weymouth uh, to Lyme Regis. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget most of this, to be honest. And my memory's very good. I think the, the Marines played like born ultimatum mind tricks on us, and it just made my memory really good. Um, you know, I see everything, I pick up everything, I know everything. And, you know, and because you, when you walk it, you feel it, and you see it, and you and you have time with it. So you just start to construct this story, and you know. But yeah, <clears throat> the third day will go down in my life story as the day that changed the game with me for the human kindness of the path. Um, a lady sent me a message 
and she she just said, my friend Ross lives in Lyme Regis where you're walking today. I used to live there when I grew up and um, I love what you're doing. He loves what you're doing. And we just wanted to ask, Ross wants to know, would it be okay if he bought you a hotel room for the night? And uh, I was so fucking tired, man. I just said, yes, just yes. Because I just thought of a bed, you know? And uh, I, I got there. I remember I got to the, the bay, Lime Bay, Lime Regis Bay. It's beautiful. And uh, I, I walked, obviously I, the hotel's in the town, so I get my map out, have a look, and it's 2.5 kilometres up a hill. I was like, oh, say, you know, it's like the finisher, you know? And uh, and that's kind of where the marine toolbox comes from, you know, because they always get in you running up hills when you think you're done, you're not done. That's played a big part of my walk. Um, but I got to this hotel and uh, I remember, man, the, the lady in the, the lobby, she's so excited to see me. I just thought it's like a dog wagging its tail, man. She's like, oh my God, you're the warrior walker. And I'm just like, what? I'm three days in, man. You know, no, no, I didn't think anyone knew of me or knew what I was doing. Um, and she said, oh, Ross, he's bought you the hotel room. Wait till you see your room. And he's bought your breakfast tomorrow. And as a hotel, we love what you're doing. So we're going to give you dinner at the pizzeria at the back. It's on us. So I started crying as always, you know, for the first six to eight weeks, I just cried every day, man, you know, because I was so overwhelmed by my life's journey at that time, the trauma of what I was going through and also the human kindness that I didn't know existed. Um, but the only condition for taking that room was that I give Ross a shout out on my Instagram. I was like, not even a problem, man. Like I'm a I'm a radiator man, not a drain. I'm a cheerleader. I love I love telling people stories. I love posting things about people because I'm a big believer. And you know you got to be that person, create those ripples. When people feel good, they, you know, when you give someone a compliment, when you when you shine a light on what they're doing, they feel good. You know, and there's not enough of that. So I I always did that from the start. Anyway, I did this before the walk. You know, that's just me. Um, but yeah, I got in this room. Oh man, she opened the door. There's a four-poster bed there, a bath in the middle of the room, a coffee machine. Oh, I started crying again. Uh, you know, <laughs> it was just amazing. And I gave Ross a shout-out. And that, I, I liken it to Avengers Assemble, you know, and the UK humans assembled in their droves, man. My Instagram instantly melted and people months into covid and the lockdown and social distancing and unsociable distancing and everyone messaged me man we got a room here for you we got a hotel we've got a bnb i'm gonna pay for a hotel room for you i'm gonna do oh man and i can tell you now obviously in the, in the 19 months that i did walk i slept outside three weeks man yep we are now in uh the 26th of April, I finished on, on Sunday. So that would have been the 22nd, 23rd, 23rd. I last slept in my tent at the end of August last year. I actually ditched my tent at a friend's house because it was weighing me down. I didn't need it. And I took a punt on the universe and I've been all right this long. I'll be all right for the next bit. And I, and I was just, man, people put, put me up the whole way, man. Um, I'd be in the middle of Scotland, in the middle of the Highlands. I don't know what I, I, I liken to it. I've never been to America. I, I, I can't wait to come to America. Um, but what I've read, I liken the Highlands of Scotland to Wyoming. 
you know, like it's just so remote. And you talk about the gods and the universe, man, I'd be lucky if I saw five, 10 cars a day. And of those five or 10 cars a day, they would drive past me, always ask me if I need a lift and I couldn't take it. But what I say to people is when they offer me the lift, it feels like I've taken it because it's the kindness that they've shown to do that. Um, but they'd say, do, do, do you need a room? You know, what are you doing? I'm walking the UK. Do you need a room? Yes. And they're, wherever I get, the only rule I had is wherever I get, wherever I stop, I start again there the next time I walk. So I'd get to a location, I'd send them a message because I got their number, they'd pick me up, and the next day they'd drive me straight back to that point, and that's where I'd start the Garmin again. And, uh, mate, the whole way around, bro, I got, you know, five-star hotels, Marriott Hotel, Hotel de Vin, hotels, Airbnbs, B&Bs, people, council houses, manor houses, stately homes, rich, poor, um, black, white, gay, straight, young, old, everything and that's why i'm such a happy person now it was a uh, six seven weeks of fully crying my eyes out i couldn't tell people what i was doing uh, they'd ask me you know what are you doing because i've got a massive bag on my back um and i'll just say I'm, I'm walking the uk why are you walking the uk mate one minute in i'm crying my eyes out because the trauma is so raw and uh, i'm on this like journey that's completely unbelievable it was actually very overwhelming uh you know because i'm in dorset and devon and i'm two three weeks in i'm 300 kilometers in i've got ten thousand kilometers to go i'm making a mere dent in a map <laughs> you can't even see where i'm making a dent in the map because it's that small it's absolutely ripping me a new one i'm dying i am so tired man and uh i didn't have a rest day for the first two three weeks because i'm a marine and uh you know and then my body's like, uh, a friend actually put me up in a hotel in Exeter. And uh, I remember going to sleep. And again, same. I check in. What are you doing? Why have you got that bag on your back? I tell them like, instantly, we're upgrading you. You know, do you need any food? I'd love some food. Right, it's on me. I, uh, you know, I just quickly, you know, I finished the story. So yeah, I, uh, I went to bed in this king size bed, man. Oh my god, it was like king size bed. You know, it was blackout blinds in the the Marriott. Oh man! And I woke up the next day. I slept out. I was out. I woke up in the world somehow of pain because my body had gone such a deep sleep that the pain had hit. And I remember, man, I felt really. I felt really strongly that I was letting people down when I when I realised that I couldn't walk and I needed a rest day and I'm like three, four hundred kilometres in no break, no days off no, you know. and I remember putting it on my Instagram telling people that I, and I, you could tell that I was like I nearly cried so I felt like I was letting people down and the love man the love everyone messaged me the opposite saying you need to rest, you need to take a break, you need to. And that's been one of the big lessons in my in my journey, that it's okay to take a rest, man. You, you Rest days are actually more important than bloody walking. So my sister bought a Banksy piece of art. I mean, like a, you know, a copy of, not an original. Um, and it's- on, I was going to say, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's on my son's wall and it says, if you get tired, learn to rest, not to quit. 
And I think that's exactly Man. pertinent to what we're talking about. This is the problem is that facade of masculinity is like, oh, you just soldier on. It is bang on. And, uh, you know, I rested. And, and again, that changed the game because you can only do so much, man. Um, and rest is key. Sleep is key. Rest is key. And it's quite funny because I remember firstly when that happened, um, I was walking a lot most days um, and it was just exhausting. But not a lot, not only that, but I would, you know, I wanted to quit all the time um, just because this is such a challenge. Um, and a, but a good friend, there's two, I've got a fair few good friends and uh, one of them sent me a message and just said, bro, just step up to the start line each day and just take care of that day. Don't worry about anything else. And you keep doing that and think like that, you'll get far, which I actually did the whole way around, which even now when I've looked at the map and I see how far I've walked, I still can't quite believe it because of that mindset that I've had from that message. And that's how I've rolled every day. Um, and another friend who's an ex-boot, uh, sorry, uh, a serving Marine, who's an absolute legend. So I was in the Marines with him and he's now 22 years in. And uh, he's a good dude, Stroudy. And um, he called me and uh, he's like, are you, are you getting on? Like, what's going down? Like, how are you finding it? And he's like, I'm so proud of you, you know? And uh, I said, mate, I'm, I'm struggling, man. What with? I was like, kindness, actually, which is really weird. <laughs> he said, what, what do you mean? I said, well, I just can't deal with it, man. I don't know what, uh, how, how to accept it. Uh, you know, I, I, from my childhood, I guess, and just the way we live in the world we live in, I was like, I, I feel like what they want back. And he's like, instantly just like, bro, do you believe in the universe, right? I was like, yeah. So like, you believe in the gods? I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, right, well, look at it from the person that's offering you help. Because if you don't accept their kindness, you're actually blocking their universe. So they're helping you for a reason. They might not tell you, but they want to help you. It just so happens that you have 300 people wanting to help you one time. So it is overwhelming, but just say yes. And then from that moment, man, I say yes more than no now. And just saying yes more than no has changed my life. Well, that circles around to what we talked about leadership earlier is when you pull communities back together, I don't think people realize how many people want to help, but a lot of people just don't know how to help. Mate. And if you just say, hey, yeah. there's this Royal Marine, he's walking around Great Britain and he's going to be walking through your town. Are you able to buy him a cup of coffee? Are you able to, you know, have you got a bed for a night? So many people yeah. are just like, oh, thank goodness. Something, you know, over and above a GoFundMe link, something with a little bit more purpose that I can tangibly help and I can see a result from. So I'm, I'm constantly amazed how many people are actually kind, but we've just never shown that on our fucking screens. No, mate. Well, twofold in response to that. Firstly, it's got to the stage now when I was walking towards the end in the last few months that I had to turn offers of rooms down and offers of food down because I just had too many, which is an amazing feeling. Um, and, and, and secondly, in, in response to this, the last part is there's, I've met a lot of people that get angry um, towards the end because they're like, why have I not heard of you? Like, I, I should have heard of you. Like, why? Is there such negativity in what I see and why have I not heard of you and that, you know, and what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I used to be like, I wish, well, I wish you had and, and don't worry, adventure two will come. So you'll hear about that. But you know, there's a, it's like the algorithms obviously and 
money and what we've spoke about before, you know, if you bad news sells, right? Can you imagine, like, imagine the, the, the 100, 200, 300 more men like me now doing good things every day, walking every day, talking and preaching and, and pilgrimage and this is the life I live and that's powerful, bro. And that's going to create some good dads, some good humans, some good friends. And uh, that's not, that doesn't sell, man. <laughs> well, what's crazy is, you know? is well, I've shared a lot of things because, I mean, I love those. I find those videos. You know, yes. a lot of the pages I follow are full of those. Them, they made me cry, man. <laughs> but that they also, you know, they do get noticed. It's the right time and all that kind of stuff, the right video and all that. But when you get those viral moments of kind of kindness and compassion, they also go viral. So you could actually even curate your algorithms to send love and there would be as much response if not more but the problem is mm -hmm. they're in kind of entrenched in this oh we need to get everyone angry and divided and triggered and all this shit and that's gonna sell well i disagree i mean yeah. when you share you know some of these incredible videos of a you know freaking whatever she was at the time 10 year old doing a hundred foot skate ramp with tony hawk or someone with down syndrome you know giving an amazing speech you know whatever it is these are the men and women that we live among this is Powerful, our community man. my community isn't isn't yeah. spray town and abs and you know porsches and mansions that's not you know that's none of our community that's facade where we live you know, these are these are representations of all the beautiful souls that we live amongst. And I think that's the problem is if people trusted in the algorithm of kindness and compassion, I think they'd actually be, you know, pleasantly surprised how popular that would be. And then that kind of negative, divisive, you know, squeaky wheel, they would be back where they belong in the absolute minorities of the left and the right. Yeah, man. Oh, man. Like, yeah, this, this, uh, it's changed my life, man. So I, I, uh, you know, in, in, in a nutshell, I, there was many days, most days I kind of, I've walked so long and so far now that I've learned that the, the whole West side of the UK, so the Southwest coast or half the Welsh coast, English coast, Scotland, all the way to the top, there was, if not once a day, more times that I wanted to quit. You know, um, it was that constant battle with that voice in my mind. Why are you doing this? You're not making any money. You haven't got any money. Like, you know, it's just that constant, like, what's the point? Um, just quit because it's easy. It's comfortable, right? Comfortable. Um, but for whatever reason, man, it would often be humans that gave me a good interaction, a nice interaction, offered me a room. And, and all the way along, great humans have filled my cup you know, metaphorically and literally. Um, and, and those kind interactions, the excitement, uh, it's like a mental game that I used to play with myself, man, because I'd know that when I ask people, people always ask me wherever I go, wherever I am, I just look a bit different to everyone else, I guess. Oh, I'm in short shorts or I'm in, got a massive bag on my back and or I'm out in the absolute torrential rain or the snow, the cold. And, and you know, I tell people what I'm doing. The excitement, man. I, I just got vibes and energy off that, you know. I never didn't tell someone what I was doing. And they always lost their mind. And it might have been an 80-year-old woman or a seven-year-old child and all in between. And it didn't matter how much money someone had. It didn't matter what social status they had. It didn't matter 
what house they had, what they did. Every single person was always excited and lost their mind and also wanted to help. And I just put that down to humans being kind and wanting to help. But also everyone has an adventurous spirit within them. And, uh, and, that, and that is us as humans. That's who we are. So everyone has an adventure they've done. Everyone has an adventure they want to go on. So when I tell people I'm doing an adventure, they kind of become invested in it straight away. So you talked about early 2022 having this anxiety attack over a pair of pink underpants. <laughs> yeah, so that would be December 2019. Oh, sorry, 2020, excuse me. Um, and here you are now, you know, 2023. You've talked about the kindness, you know, journey you've been on. You talked about obviously the physical journey, some of the weather and some of the discomforts. Yep. Talk to me about that emotional and mental health journey that you've been in you know what were some healing elements and where where are you finding yourself now as we sit here talking late april of 2023 oh man that's a question isn't it um so i set off alone wolf man it was me against the world me against myself um but quickly uh it became uh, a community I've created such a strong community of people um, because most of them I've met, most of them I've stayed with. And I feel like it was uh, the currency because I didn't have any money. Um, these people were offering me rooms because they heard about me. It was the old way. I'd stay in a village, a town, and they'd call their friend in the next town and be like, oh my God, we got this guy coming. He's walking the country. You've got to help him out. Uh, and it just dominoed like that. Um but what would always happen is I'd walk all day, all night, and people would say, okay, well, we've, we'll make you food, make you dinner, we'll break bread, right? So when that happened, every single time, it would be like, okay, so tell us about your life. Tell us about your story. Tell us about your journey and how you're getting on the walk. Now, I left as a lone wolf. I left as someone who was very burdened and traumatized and thought that he was a bit of a black sheep you know, I, the way I spoke to myself, you know. And here I am sat in all these beautiful homes and big and small and all in between, but it was the love, man, the warmth of the homes, you know, the people that were in it and the love they showed me. But I'd tell them my story, and like I've told you, uh, but it would often lead to me crying straight away because I was traumatized. I was really, I was over, I, you know, I was overwhelmed. And, um, you know, the, these people would just reach across the table just grab my hand, man. Take your time. Don't worry. You know, you're, you're good. You know, you've got a room here. Where you're safe. Like, we've we got you. You need to stay another night. You stay another night. Um, and then what would quickly happen is people would say the same things all the time. And I would pick up on them. So it would be usually like, you should be so proud of yourself. You should be so um, proud of what you're doing, what you've done. You've done so much. You don't even realize it. You're so young. You know, and, and then I quickly realized, because I don't know why, but I just felt like everyone had lived the life I lived. I, I, you know, I just felt that way. Um, and as much as my personal family experience, other than like my nan, you know, my granddad, but other than that, it was pretty awful. Um, I quickly started to create my own family. And uh, my nan always used to say to me, because she knew it was my mum's mum. She knew the struggles and what was going on and, she always used to say to me, and she passed away, um, but I'll never forget it. She always used to say to me, I always used to wonder when I was younger what she was talking about. 
Um, but she always used to say to me, you can create your own family, you know. If you're not happy, you can create your own family, which was her saying, create your own family. And uh, I never used to get it. And I also used to feel like that, you know, I was stuck with my family, you know. Um, there's that saying, right, blood's thicker than water, but it's not. And uh, I quickly started to create my own family and not know it. So I'm every day, you know, I'm, you know, I'm walking and I'm struggling and I'm tired. But at the same time, the flip side of that is I've got so much purpose. And, uh, you know, every day there's a target to hit. And, and every day I'm getting kind of so much love and, and support and, and in real time, you know. And, and it's not just a saying. It's not, you know, actions speak louder than words. It's, it's real. People are offering me rooms, people are offering me food, people are driving to see me and walk with me, people are buying me coffee, people are giving me kit, giving me money just to get around. And it quickly became an adventure um, that was was my adventure and my challenge, but it quickly became way bigger than me. Uh, and it's since early, since early in the journey, been that way. And the whole way around the UK, I've learned that not only is the UK a wonderfully beautiful place, um, but the people that are within it are just beautiful, kind, and, and, and so supportive. And it's that kindness that has got me around. And I feel like I would have done it with without the humans as such. You know, you can do a lot on your own, but with the humans and with a good team, which is the kindness of the humans I've met, I've got around a whole lot quicker than I planned, you know. So there's a message in that, man. You can go far on your own, but you can do you can go a lot further with good people, man. And as a team and a collective and a community, and it, it's changed my life. So you know, the guy that left, it's kind of it's so it's so it's such a poetic pilgrimage of a journey, man. Because the lone wolf that left returned on Sunday, just gone to that same beach where I grew up all my life, everything looked the same, but I was so different, man. And uh, when I left, and for a long minute, I was finding myself out in the real world. I was starting from zero. I uh, was trying to find out who I am, how far can I go? Uh, and I've returned a completely free, calm, loved, kind person that just so happens to inspire the people that he's met. And when I left, I was the person that needed to be inspired. And, and, and in doing what I've done, I, it turns out now that I, I inspire people. And for me, that's the, that's the money right there, man. You can, you can ram your thousands of pounds, man. I don't, I don't want it. Um, you know, if, if I'm known for this, if I'm known for, you know, the, the, the people I did my big, and again, this very poetic in, on this walk, man, that I did my biggest walk on the last day. You know, the path is that savage. You know, I did 10 weeks. I got after it, man. I was doing marathons every day, 22 miles to 36 miles every day. The last stretch, I did 17 days straight. And the last day, man, I did my biggest walk. 36 miles it absolutely you know 60 kilometers started at seven in the morning finished at 12 20 at night hallucinating 
my body was going down. You know, I, I was exhausted just because I had this determination to get there because people were waiting for me. Um, but I remember one point in that walk on Saturday just gone. And uh, I, there's a place called the Isle of Wight. And it's right at the south of the UK and the south of England. It's a little island. So I got a ferry across in the morning. I walked across the island, so I thought it was 17 miles while I looked at the maps, but it wasn't. It was 26. And every hour there's a ferry that runs. And I remember a friend called me, David, who, who, whose house I'm staying in now. And uh, I told him, he's like, how are you getting on, man? I was like, mate, I'm either going to just hit that ferry or I'm just going to miss it. And I just missed it. I was like, it was literally leaving the port. I was like, for fuck's sake, man. You know, I, I needed to get on that ferry. So because I didn't get on the ferry, I had to wait for an hour and the crossing was 40 minutes. So in essence, I'm an hour and 40 minutes behind an already massive day. So I did an Instagram post like I always do. Um, and people obviously could tell that I was a bit deflated. I didn't think I was, but I clearly was. So I get on the ferry, I get to the crossing and right there, there's someone waiting with his husky. And he's like, mate, I've come to walk with you, man. I was like, man, I knew him from Instagram, but I didn't know him in person. So we hug it out and uh, I walk probably 100 metres. A guy gets out of his car. The place where I was walking is very quiet, so he's coming to see me. He gives me a hug. I know him on Instagram, not on person until then. He says, mate, I watched your Instagram, man. I can tell you're a bit deflated. I, I drove from Portsmouth to get here because I saw that you missed the ferry so I realised I had enough time so he drove an hour and a half to get to that point to walk with me 100 metres again go around another corner I, heard, I hear warrior walker I look over to my right it's a guy with his dog he's like I've drove from Southampton he's drove 45 minutes an hour in his car to come and walk with me all three of those guys didn't know that each one of those guys was going to walk with me I didn't know any of them were going to walk with me it was the biggest surprise, the most welcome surprise. The universe had my back. They had my back. And then we walked together for three hours. And then two of the guys turned back and then Stu carried on for two more hours. And the, we had the most amazing conversations, the, the real conversations. And all of them told me how I changed their lives by the way I talk. And how I talk about forgiveness and letting go and getting after it. And, and, and if you're not happy, if you're not feeling good to talk, talk, talk about it, you know? And for me, I was just smiling, man. I remember I did a, we did an, I did an Instagram story and I was like, look who's come and surprised me. So I showed these three guys, right? They're all waiting and that. And I, and I remember we got to this pub, so I was busting for a wee, but it was populated enough that I couldn't do it outside. So I went into this pub and it, I was so desperate for a wee. I literally just pulled the I'm walking the UK card straight away. I was like, guys, I'm walking the UK because the pub was really busy. You know, I'm stinking. They're like, what are you doing in here on a Saturday night? You know, they gave me those look in the eyes. I was like, I'm walking the UK. I really need a wee. They're like, yeah, that's amazing. Go to the toilet. And I remember I went for a posh wee, right? So I sat down and went for a wee because <laughs> I call it a posh wee. I'm too tired. My legs are killing me. So I'm sitting down. And I'm on my phone watching the story of the, the guys that have come walking with me inside in, in it muted it. And I'm just watching it, just smiling, you know, because I've been walking on my own for so long. And then I went outside. I said, guys, this is going to sound so weird. 
but for me it won't be weird. I've just been sat on the toilet having a posh re-watching us smiling and, and then they all were like, oh my God. And then two of the guys left. So I hugged them five times at least and, you know, thanked them for coming. One of the guys, Nick, pulled out a Union Jack flag and was like, mate, I know you wanted to get a Union Jack flag and you couldn't get your hands on one, so I bought you one. So you can have it on your back tomorrow. And then Joey, he's like, here's some fruit pastels, which are some sweets. And here's some 50 pounds for you because I just love what you're doing. And I know you're going to say, don't give me the money, but I want to give you the money to take the money and just buy whatever you need, man. And, you know, it was honestly, man, you know, I was walking with these guys and to hear their stories is so uh, amazing. It's so powerful. You know, the messages I get every day from men, women, telling me how they were, you know, they thought about ending their lives and they found me on Instagram and then I've just inspired them to just keep at it, to just talk. I mean, for me, that's the meaning of life, man, and to, 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 to kind of put it all into a nutshell, I've learned myself by doing, but in this life, you need a passion, a purpose, and a why that is bigger than you. And if you have those three things, you're on the right track, man. And that's uh, yeah absolutely well it's funny because when i'm listening to you talking about your journey i'm thinking about the things that we did have in the marines in the fire service and it was purpose and it was a tribe community yeah it was uh you know a form of sacrifice a form of selflessness you know and then you refined all these things not only as you said have you restored your faith in humanity because being in a room full of people selling insurance i bet no one was really living their best life at that moment and now you you see this ama- amazing kindness and compassion but then you realize yeah i mean that's the the kind of karma people use karma in a negative context i always think of it as positive like when you do good in the world you're not doing it so you can get something back you're doing it because it is the right thing to do. And when you shed, you know, kindness and compassion, it's not so much that you want it in return. You just see it grow. You see it nurture. You see the ripple effect of positivity rather than the ripple effect of negativity that we see so much the last few years. Yep. Absolutely agree, man. And, uh, you know, it's changed my life. And about two weeks ago, um, you know, I've been banging the drum for a long time and sometimes it would annoy me, frustrate me, you know, that I'm I'm doing this huge challenge and it's not getting any light shone on it. Um, but I now look at that as like a test from the universe, you know, the gods, like how bad you want it. And the funny thing is, a long while ago, I let go of that. And I just said to myself all the time when it used to frustrate me that you'd see these influencers online, as they're called, with their boobs out on a mountain, getting all the likes, all the sponsors and, and all these adventurers and ex-special forces guys, you know, like, they did, they're telling the stories they've told for years and years and years. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm in the game now. I'm doing it right now. Funny thing is I just let go of that. And I um, just said to myself, just remember why you started. Just remember who you were, where you are now, and why you started. And I never forget that version of me. That version of me I'm so proud of because he had the courage in the darkness to take that leap of faith. And the version of me now looks back on him with so much love, man. And so much kindness and so much um, forgiveness and, and, and pride. Um, but the funny thing is I let go of it and I just thought, well, it doesn't matter. It's all irrelevant, man. And then in doing that and then letting go of it, I love Matthew McConaughey and he always talks about green lights. And the green lights, man, they're there because uh, two weeks ago I got contacted by Sky News. So I did a four-minute Sky News piece. Uh, and then I've done all the news now. 
Um, you know, yesterday I'm on a Garmin call to first day Friday. I've got book calls with publishers and I'm doing this with you. And, like, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, the, the don't quit, right? Because if you firstly have the passion and purpose and the why for it, the good stuff will come. And uh, Alan Watts is the, the, the Western Buddhist, you know, one of the first guys. Everyone recognizes his voice. You know, he does a lot of the real talks, you know, and, he, and I, there's one thing that he always, he always said, and it said, just if you do what you love for long enough, you will, you will make money. And I, and I, and I've, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a champion of that. And, uh, and now that's starting to look like it may happen, which is amazing to get recognition for this man. Yeah. I, you know, to get recognition for something you love to talk about something I love, which is me and my walk. I'm so passionate. It's my baby. It lights me up and the, the people I've met light me up and the humans I've met light me up. And that leads quickly on to the next adventure. Um, because firstly, um, I had 11 month break. Um, I had, I, I did four months walking. So July the 19th to 2020, uh, sorry, July the 19th, 2020 to December the 19th, 2020. I walked from Paul in Dorset up to Bristol, having completed the Southwest Coastal Path, which is the equivalent of three Everest summits, um, 635 miles, absolute straight up savage, uh, and to a place called Lenetley in Wales. I had five days off for Christmas, but the first day we went into the second lockdown. So that five days turned into 11 months where I couldn't walk just because Scotland, England and Wales have different restrictions. I didn't agree with it, but I couldn't walk because it was just not a good time at that time. So I took a seasonal job in Cornwall, which was amazing. But that 11 months has always been on my mind. You know, it's been like everyone went through it, but it's been a bit of a like motherfucker, um, you know. And secondly, few have done it once. Nobody's done it twice. That turns me on, the marine in me, man. That's my, you know, that's the Goggins in me, man. That's like, you know, that turns me on. Um, and then thirdly, and probably most importantly, uh, what else will I do? But I've had such a good human experience and such a life-changing healing experience. And I'm a very big believer in paying it forward. Um, so therefore, I'm going to do a victory lap and do it again in about six weeks' time. And I'm going to raise money for a charity called Mind, which is a mental health charity. And uh, that is adventure number two. Amazing. Now, are you going to take, is there going to be an opportunity to actually document some of this with film so that maybe there could be a documentary of the second lap? Uh, I mean, I mean uh, I'm mean, i in talks with certain people at the minute, but I hope so. I mean, what a, what a, what a thing to document and, and also from the start as well, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm, it's that whole why again. It's that bigger than me. You know, I'm willing to put myself through the pain. I kind of love it. It's the passion, the purpose, the why, but it's also the routine of it. I can't think of anything better to do at the minute because the UK is stunning. So I'm happy to go back to these places and you, I'm going to see it differently anyway. Uh, I'll do the same route so I can compare the two, but I th I'm thinking I'll start from a different point this time just to keep it a bit varied, but also to go the other way around, not that way around. So go anti-clockwise, not clockwise, but... I've given myself a year to get it done, including rest days. So there's a place called Dundee in Scotland. It's on the East Coast, right at the top, you know. And the last week, 10 weeks, man, I've gone from Dundee all the way down, all the way around to the finish in 10 weeks. 
this stuff flown, man. So I, I kind of feel like I did that subconsciously. I maybe knew that I'd do this again. So I know I can do it. I could probably maybe do it in less, but I just, I've set the target uh, a million pounds to raise for these guys because they're good. You know, I'm a firm believer in standing in your lane and my lane is walking the path, man. That's what I'm good at. Never knew it could be a thing, but I'm a good walker, man. <laughs> and uh, it's it's brilliant. So I'm going to let them do their thing. So I've set up a Just Giving. It's on my Instagram and I'm, I'm, I've set the target at a million because I believe, you know, you've got to aim high, right? Absolutely. And, uh, if you aim high and you just miss it, then you still did great. And so again, relying on the same kind of kindness and compassion again, so people will be able to follow yeah, you on Instagram. Yeah, it's going to be on the same Instagram, and I'll, you know, people are already messaging me like, "You can stay again." And you know, so it's a great, ex- you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see the people I've seen before, but I also know, you know, I stayed with people, but there's been a lot of people that have messaged me saying, "Oh man, I wish I knew you were here when you were here." So. I don't feel like rooms will be a problem, so I'll take them because sleep is key. Um, and they allow me to push out these marathons every day when I do walk. Um, but also it's the human aspect, man. I mean, it, it's so, as you know, man, like selfless service is just amazing. Like to, to, to do things for other people makes you feel good. Um, to give rather than receive is, is feels great. Um, Sorry, my battery went. Let's give me the morning then. But um, yeah, to, to give rather than receive is great. And I give my story to people and I give my energy to people. And I, I show them that there could be an alternative life for them. You know, if you're not happy, then you can change it, man. And the story that I have is probably powerful in the sense of because I was never been so low and I didn't have anywhere to live. I didn't have a job and I had 300 pounds in my bank and I did this. So you can definitely do what you want to do. You know, and you just got to try, just try. And if you firstly don't get there, then just regroup and go again. And if you try and you get there and you don't like it, then you try something else because you know you don't like that. You know, so there's so many messages and there's so much kindness and so much love and so much support. And I've just realized that this is me for my life, man. It's how I'm going to live my life, just walk the world and do these, these, these challenges and be an adventurer and write books and, 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 and live my truth, man. Beautiful. Well, I'm sure people listening are fascinated. I know you have a website. I know you have Instagram. So where are the best places online to follow you and learn more about you? Yeah, so the best, the best place, to be fair, would be my, my Instagram. And uh, that's the Warrior Walker. Uh, that's the handle there. So that is probably the best place. You know, there's so many social medias, and I just believe in doing one good. And for me, I just like the the layout of Instagram. I like how it works. I like the stories and the lives and, the, you know, so yeah, Instagram is my jam and you can find me on the Warrior Walker. Beautiful. Well, I want to say thank you to David Glennon as well. He was the first person that kind of introduced me to you. And yeah, I think it was, I want to say before me. you te- even um, began. So I think it's been right from the beginning, if I'm not mistaken. And David's a good dude. Good dude, man. I'm, you know what I'm going to do now when we finish this even though I've told him before I'm going to message him and tell him what a great human he is for doing that absolutely well again it's all about this connection you know we're in different countries and here we yeah. are having this amazing chat so well I want to say thank you so so much I mean hearing your journey and and it, it's funny because it, it is such a contrast I sat with my wife last night and watched the Whitney Houston film they just made and here's this incredible woman this incredible gift surrounded by fame and wealth 
but obviously she was never able to address that thing. She never got to that thing and it ended up destroying her. And it's so tragic, so sad. And here you are, you know, with so many of the people that have been on the show that have managed to find that thing before it was too late, you know, and it didn't take fame and, and wealth and, you know, um, fake people around you, quite the opposite. It took complete strangers to find that family. So it has been such an amazing conversation. I want to thank you so much. Thank you, man. And you just quickly alluded to that when I, I was just about to say it, and you literally said it, but uh, I always tell people I've met so many strangers that have become family, man. And the uh, the last thing I'll say is that there's four words that changed my life, and it's, hi, how are you? And that's all I say whenever I'm walking, whenever I go past somebody, I take my ear pods out. If I'm listening to a podcast and listening to music, I just instinctively do it now, and I take it, and I just see that person. And if you look on my Instagram, you'll see that's all colors and creeds and age and disabilities. And I see people, man, and people want to be seen. So I just say, hey, how are you? And that leads to, I'm good, thanks. It leads to, oh, I'm great. Or at least, what are you doing? And a room and kindness and love and friends and stories. And, you know, so if you are struggling, what I do tell people to do is just talk to strangers. Just say, hey, how are you? Hi, how are you doing? And not only will you start to change your life, but you'll send out those ripples to other people because the people that you do talk to also don't get spoken to and also aren't seen. So you can literally change people's lives and yours by just saying, hi, how are you?